Hello, and welcome back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is J. Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable. Maybe you're working, but you've got one of those new wearable chairs. Whatever you're doing, we want you all to enjoy yourselves. You can follow me, your host, at Deering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handle on Instagram at Things Are Going Great For Me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our email list and some brand new merch, including a quietly dignified Things Are Going Great For Me coffee mug. Perfect for your coffee or even a small portion of soup. Soup. It's fun to say it. We've also got hoodies, t-shirts, and tote bags, and even a Things Are Going Great For Me safety mask, folks. So check them out and listen in comfort style and good health. You can find all our products in our link tree on our show Instagram page, at Things Are Going Great For Me. On our link tree, you'll also find our Patreon, which features additional interview coverage from both our Season 1 and Season 2 guests, including our bonus Quarpod series, in which I ask guests about how they're adjusting to life in our seemingly unending quarantine and how it's changing life in the entertainment industry. Our Patreon is a vital part of making this show happen, so if you'd like to support us, give us a subscribe on there. You can check us out on Patreon directly at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And by the way, we're thrilled to welcome back our sponsor for this series, Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on Earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be a force of nature. Icelandic Glacial natural spring water sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon, IcelandicGlacial.com, and a retailer near you. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show, leave us a nice comment, tell your aunt about us, give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. On this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, famous podcast hosts, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second-guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming comics and actors and established producers, authors, writers, and directors. It's Minnesota Day on Things Are Going Great For Me. We've had three folks from Minnesota on the pod, two of them today. Today's first guest is Corbin Reed. Corbin is an actor, writer, and soon-to-be director. She plays Sandy Hill on the new Starz comedy series Run the World, which recently got picked up for a second season. Corbin talks about shooting a season of a show during a pandemic in the pre-vaccine world, her easy chemistry with her co-stars, the unique character of Harlem in New York City, growing up in Minneapolis and going to U Michigan for college, her work in Rent Off-Broadway, the demands of being a swing performer in a Broadway show, and starring in the reboot of Blair Witch. It's a great chat. I'll be speaking with Corbin in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my interview with Erin Pineda. I've known Erin since I moved to L.A. She's a writer, actor, and comedian who's currently starring in the Apple TV Plus dark comedy, Physical. Erin talks about doing theater and comedy in L.A., including her celebrated performance as Gilda Radner in Alan Zweibel's production of Bunny Bunny, also produced by the late Gary Marshall. We talk network showcases, audition technique, and giving yourself writing deadlines. Stick around for Erin's interview. You're not going to want to miss it. So, Winston, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Corbin Reed did the mm-hmm. latest iteration of the Blair Witch movies. Yep. Um, the original was maybe the first found footage movie that got a widespread release and later mm-hmm. became hugely popular with the Paranormal Activity movies. Are you a fan of the original Blair Witch? Movie? Oh, it scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah, me too. Oh, man. man. I, I think I was. How did you 12? see it? 12? I saw it in the theater. 
I remember it was with like a bunch of camp. It was like a bunch of camp friends and it was our one post camp hangout. And we all like our parents were all like, yeah, you guys can go. We'll get approval. And one of the parents went with us. Yeah. And I, I remember having like very distinct nightmares or like, 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 like waking nightmares of my house and like the Blair Witch standing in front of my house and walking up the driveway. Like, that's what I, I really remember being so scared. That movie is incredibly effective. Yeah, so I my the way I saw it was uh was very uh bizarre, mm-hmm. uh, unique I guess is a better word to put it. But anyway, I was on a school trip and we were in Europe, so I was yeah. in this I was mm-hmm. in Brussels and I rem- mm-hmm. I had to I wanted to look this theater up because it was really unique this place and it's called the Canopolis and it's cool. It's part of this park that was used for the Brussels World Fair. And outside the movie theater, they have this enormous sculpture of an atom that's maybe the size of a Ferris wheel. It's called the Atomium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with this. I had to do a report on uh, on Belgium. Oh, really? Yeah. You're talking about it's big. It's a giant steel. Like you can go in it like it's huge. Yeah, I think you can go in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's Um, giant. So in any way, so I, I can't remember if I went with friends or if I went by myself. I can't I don't know why mm. I would be on my own on a school trip. But uh, but I don't remember who, if I was with people. I don't remember who I was with. So anyway, I went into this movie. So fuck them. Right. You know, <laughs> not not worth remembering. <laughs> Just take a little pot shot at some ancient friends. No. <laughs> Where do you get this? Shit? <laughs> I literally just don't remember. I just don't remember. <laughs> I know, I know. You dick. <laughs> uh, so, anyway. so yeah, you went and saw it alone. I saw so, Paranormal Activity alone. I yeah, do well, remember so, that. So yeah, so I'll let's, I I auditioned for one of those at one point. I'll, I can tell mm-hmm. you about that. But like, so I just remember like coming out of the movie theater. Uh, feeling very discombobulated. I was a world away from the United States. I was a teenager. I, I didn't know anything about yeah. this movie. And so I completely believed that mm-hmm. the Blair Witch was a real, real. demon yep. that lived in Appalachia. Yep. So Erin Pineda talked about, um, mm-hmm. one of the things she talked about was getting started over at or UCB in the early mm-hmm. days of the theater here, the LA theater. Um, yep. I'm, I'm probably have asked you this before, but do you remember what year you got involved with UCB? 2000, late 2000, 2011, for sure. 2011. Okay. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Cause I moved here in 2010 and it was about six to seven months after that, that I started doing UCB stuff. That's, that's about yep. five years after I got here. Yeah. So it was mm-hmm. still, it was probably already very, popular at that it was point. popular i think i entered improv at the uh like what i would call like the the last three years of its golden age before it is now become like when it was still like underground relatively but big enough to have a really big base but mm-hmm. not the punchline of all the jokes yet ah uh, yeah fair enough fair enough now i know you've been spending a lot of your time recently over uh more recently over at the pack mm-hmm. um do you know like what's going on in terms of performances of like improv performances these days Places are they are, happening they are starting to happen again now some people have done some stuff out outdoor theaters i know i think convoy the ucb oh, yeah. team are they're yeah. doing shows i believe at like an outdoor space um cool kind of as one-offs i know as far as i know there's i don't know what the ucb reopening plans are also i'm not the person who would be i wouldn't be hip to that information um and then I know there's like there are some smaller theaters that are starting to happen because like I mean you can reasonably have shows safely. Oh, and then I also know there's shows going on at Silver Lake Lounge now. Like there's basically been oh my god as the big theaters are hesitant to reopen fully, 
all the small all the shows have been like, well, let's get in here, let's do this here. I so, cannot yeah. think of. I mean, when it, it, certain venues that I am hearing a little bit about, like people are like coming in and doing comedy shows. Mm-hmm. I'm like that is a kind of a place where you will come out of there sick with something, if not COVID. Yeah, yeah, and I do think... Um, and I think that's part of, like, my own PTSD now. Like, I don't know yeah. when the next time is going to be. that. I, I don't think I have gone into a dark bar mm. in... Um, it's, I'll probably... It'll probably be two years very quickly yeah. before that's true. I'm writing that. I'm trying to also, like... It's it, everything's scary now because you remember that it can be scary, but also I'm trying to be get better about that. Like I'm doing way more like going to breweries that have outdoor spaces, trying to do that type of stuff. Yeah. But also I have a different life than you and don't have the same responsibilities. You I have. got the two unvaccinated kids yeah. still at home. Yeah. So we're I'm touching wood as I say this, you know, we're just going to try mm-hmm. to get through this until they can be safely vaccinated. Yeah. Um. All right, folks. Yeah. <laughs> You've been very patient with us. Without further ado, mm-hmm. here now is the wonderful and talented Corbin Reed. So we started we started this podcast at the beginning of a pandemic. Um it wasn't designed that way. That's the way it ended up happening. Um, so I ended up asking folks a lot about their experiences in quarantine. How, how did how did yours go? Well, I started out quarantine in a one bedroom apartment in the Hollywood Hills with me and my um, boyfriend, now fiance. Uh, we were like, you know, Th- Congratulations. Thank you. Thank, yeah. you. thank you. Thank you. No, we were in like five, well, like 600 square feet. Um, oh, damn. And, you know, okay. usually when like you're really busy, I, I mean, we, we loved the view. We had like views of the hills and it was like a very charming, like casita situation. <laughs> but it's like he works from home. He um, also is going to like virtual business school at UCLA from home now. And I was trying to do a million auditions and, and all of these things. So it was just like, it was crazy. Uh, it was yeah. Oh, and we got a puppy. Uh, Amazing. And, yeah, but she's not small and she got very big, very fast. And so it was just <laughs> the three of us in 600 square feet, just like, it, it was crazy. So we moved, I we bought a house in, um, and oh, so, yeah, so now we have like, Everyone has an office. Everyone has a place to like exist, which I'm so grateful for because it was wild. It was really wild. Well, I'm so glad. Uh, I'm so glad that you <laughs> you went through that experience and you both came out stronger. You know what? We did, and I feel like it's like for people, it's like either they come out of quarantine and and they're like, it didn't it didn't work out. It didn't work out. We realized <laughs> that after having to be that much on top of each other not for us or they're like we were stronger right i feel like it's like one or the other so i'm glad we were the other had you had y'all been dating for a long time before you the quarantine yeah okay. yeah All we right. had already been together for like four and a half years and it wasn't like you had gone on a blind date you decided <laughs> to live together and then this happened no god no no Got it. no we had already been living together and, and dating for a long time so does it um does it feel weird that we're starting to go about our business as usual 
No, it's amazing. I'm fully vaccinated and you know, all my good friends are my, my mom's coming in today. She's fully vaccinated or tomorrow she's fully vaccinated. My dad came to visit. Like, I feel like now that we're vaccinated, I mean, yes, we still have to wear masks and stuff, but it feels nice. Like we, we had the premiere last of this new show around the world that I'm doing last on Sunday of last, what's today? Oh my God. Today's Wednesday. Wednesday. So on the 16th. And it was amazing because like, we were like a bunch of caged animals that got like released into the wild. Like they were like, you have to wear a mask. But then like we showed up and they were like, you don't have to wear a mask. Like, uh, <laughs> you're vaccinated. Right. And it was like, it was on top it was like the one in LA. We did one in LA. It was at Noya house. And it was like, Oh yeah. Outside. So it was great. Um, we all got to socialize and like hug each other. And like, there was a DJ and there was like lettuce performed and it just felt like a real oh party God. and you know, like red carpets, like who's done a real red carpet in the past, you know, year like yeah no one really i feel like everything's so it was cool it was really cool to just like be and we because even when we were filming like we weren't allowed to hang out we would be signed really like if you you know so you these rules you could get we'll we'll send you home like okay so you were filming during this quarantine oh yeah yeah, we filmed. Ah, interesting. I wanted to so I wanted to ask a little bit about that in some res- one one respect to that uh, a little bit later. But that's yeah, absolutely. Well, um, huge congratulations on the premiere of this series. This thank this you. show has a lot of great buzz, and thank you for making the time during a very busy week to talk to me. Yeah, I feel like I'm like in like press mode. So it's like, it's all good. So Run the World uh, is a series that follows four women in their 30s living in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. And it feels like any New York story featuring four women immediately gets compared to Sex in the City. Um, you know, I th- am I correct that you all have the same uh, costume designer? Yeah. Yeah. Patricia think- Fields. Right. I think I read that. And um, and this series has been described as sex in the city with depictions of black women. So I'm curious, are you here? Uh, are you are you sick of hearing that comparison? No, honestly, all of us are. I mean, all of us are huge fans of the show um, like that. Like I grew up on on that show. I was a huge fan of sex in the city. Um, so we we understand why the comparison is being made over and over again. Um I would say that there's even a nod. I mean, there are nods to it, like in the dialogue, the writer, uh, Lee Davenport, who created right. the show uh, and it's based on her life and her friends that, she, you know, she was with in Harlem as, as a writer. Yeah. Um, you know, she makes a nod to it because like I say something about how, like, you know, one of the, the girls, Ella, she's the journalist in the group and she comes over to my house and she's like complaining about her boyfriend or not her boyfriend, this guy that she used to date, who's like showed back up in her life. And she's Mm -hmm. like, he's my big. And I'm like, no, he's not big was tall, Uh rich and had a driver. You know what I mean? Like Uh you're going to perpetually humiliate yourself for a man. He better be tall, rich and have a driver. Like we have a couple nods to it because we, you know, it's a revered show. It's a cult. It's an iconic show, but the main difference between our show and that show mm-hmm. is that these are like four women who aren't, it's not a show about how to like get a man and how to keep a man. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a show that focuses on um, enviable female friendships and 
and also it's a there it's a fuller picture of these women's lives like and it's also not a show about like like you know one girl and friends it's like mm -hmm. all four women are are like very evolved characters and and you get to see so many facets of their lives and their personalities not just their their love lives but um their excuse me <laughs> their work lives their their family lives um and th and their friendship and i think sex in the city was more about dating and all these women are in a, a very like in relationships um so that's that's the biggest difference and then of course you know there's harlem um harlem right. is like a character in our show sex in the city was very much like a show that was set in manhattan yeah and harlem has its own heartbeat it has its own culture it has its own identity um and it's yeah. you know it's got a lot black it's like a, a black mecca like of, of black history and mm -hmm. but the contemporary harlem is really popping and like no one has like really made harlem into a character the way that Lee Davenport has in this show because she loves Harlem. She loves, yeah. she loves, she lived there for like over 10 years or something. I mean, that's like her second home. So yeah, it's very different in those ways. And of course we're for black women. So that's also, you know, very, very different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, uh, Additionally, there's, I mean, what it seemed to me that what, that where there were some, where there might be some common ground is this is perhaps a sense of fun that this show has, which that show had as well. Would you agree? Yeah, it's definitely a comedy. <laughs> and you yourself, I think you actually lived in Harlem. Am I right? I did. I lived in Harlem for about a year, about a year and a half. Um, but I lived in New York for a total of six years. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, I have not been back to visit Harlem. I don't think it about, um, it might've been, it must be about 15 years for me. Um, mm -hmm. when you're shooting there now, um, what, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about what you observe changing about the neighborhood? Well, one big thing is gentrification. I think, you know, um, yeah. It's one thing that actually the neighbor, like people that live in that community complain about a lot. It's like, it's, Manha I mean, the island of Manhattan of New, of New York uh, is becoming, you know, the, the rents, I mean, prior to obviously to the pandemic, because that, that bubble sort of burst um, because it had to, because people were leaving and, and um, right. you know, they needed to fill apartments um, after that mass exodus. But I think, you know, a lot of white people are moving into the neighborhood and they move into the apartments and are willing to pay $4,500 for a one bedroom apartment. And so if you've been living mm -hmm. in that building for 20 years and your rent is $1,200, they find ways to get rid of you. Right. So like right. the gentrification piece is very much there, but there's also like a lot of really positive things that are happening. I mean, the, the, there are businesses that are moving in and like red rooster is a huge staple up there. There's just some really cool, um, spots obviously you have you know you've always had um the apollo up there which is mm -hmm. amazing um we shoot in marcus garvey park we shot like at the harriet tubman statue we shot in a really beautiful brownstone that um this artist named lloyd tune um it was like a, a four floor maybe five floors I don't know, it was four four floor brownstone that this artist named lloyd tune and his wife have lived there for like 50 years and he like wow he uh 
did all of these renovations to it and, and not in a generic way and like very true to the fact that he is an artist. Like he refurbished, you know, the banisters and the, the crown molding and did all this ornate, ornate detailing. And then he has all these installments all over his, his home uh, of, of his work. And it just feels like, it feels like history, you know, like it yeah. feels like a beautiful piece of well-maintained history. And it's cool because in episode five, um, we're in, we're in the brownstone for most of the episode. And it's just like, it's, it's just, you feel, you feel like you're in a different part of New York. If you're, if you're not familiar with Harlem. Yeah. What is it? So could you talk a little bit about, because it's a, it's usually a special experience anyway, when you're shooting on set or on location, I should say, um, what, what does it give you in terms of the, the, your performance, would you say? Oh, being on location. Yeah, it must be a gift. Yeah, I mean, everyone in Harlem was so excited. Like they, we, they like got to know that like we were shooting a show about Harlem in Harlem. So they'd be like, "Y'all up here again? Amazing. Like, we're so excited to see the show." You know, like yeah, that and that definitely adds to the energy. I mean, of course, it was a little different because we were in the middle of a pandemic, and it's like stay back. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> no autographs. Yeah, yeah, no, no autographs. Stay back six feet. Um, where's your mask, that kind of thing. But um, it was, it definitely added to the energy of it. And it, I mean, to the honesty and the authenticity of it, I feel like, sure, you can make a set, but when you're actually there, it's just, um, it's a whole different experience. Does it feel organic? Is that a good word to describe? Yeah, I think organic is a great word. Yeah, it it sounds amazing. Um, So like you said, it's based, uh, the story is based on Lee Davenport, the creator's real life and her friendships. Um, Could you talk a little bit about how did the show and in particular, how did the cast come together for this? Yeah, so it was um, like, the first person cast was Amber Stevens West. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I think they like were familiar with her work and Lee and Yvette Lee Bowser, who's um, the executive producer and showrunner of the show who, you know, created Living Single and, and mm-hmm. she's one of the people behind um, Dear White People and she had yeah. a hand in creating Blackish and all of this. Um, she and Lee together sort of like Amber would be a great fit for this character, Whitney, and asked her to be a part of it. And then Brisha um, came mm-hmm. second. I think she auditioned for it and, and, and got it. And then they, I know, found me from an audition that I did with Kim Coleman. Um, and I read the script and was like, I mean, it just felt like when I read it, it just felt like, uh, it felt like what I had been looking for. Like the characters are mm-hmm. so, um diverse and they felt like women that I knew and and like family members or friends and you know there were no tropes there were no stereotypes it just felt like a really authentic uh voice for black women and and for women in general but specifically for black women and um so I read initially for Sandy who I I am playing in the show but on the day of my test um Kim called me and was like they 
want to know if you would test for Ella also. And I already had like 20 pages of sides for Sandy. And then I was like, I want to, I mean, obviously they are trying to figure out where, where to put me and they want to put me somewhere. So I, and I wanted to be a part of the show so bad. I was like, you know, sure. Send over the material. Yeah, I'll do my yeah. best. I have two hours, but I'll do my best. Yeah. It was another 20 pages. And so I was like, Oh my God. Like, you know, rustling to get it all together. But I, I wanted it so bad. I didn't care. Yeah. And you know, this is where of course, like being in theater just comes in handy because mm-hmm. you're used to having to memorize so much right? and um, take in so much that I was like, I, I got this. It was fine. <laughs> two hours, um, 20 more pages. Two yeah. hours. Give it to me. Make some so, strong choices. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's a comedy too, which just makes it a little bit easier also. Um, what do you cool. find about that with comedy in particular? Because I, you know, I sometimes think about comedy as like, like what it's, it's comedies oftentimes are performers mediums is a way of putting it. I think it's there, are, you can find potentially you can find additional jokes that are in the physical body language, the, you know, the uh, little or, or um sometimes they're you're allowed to improvise and things like that how how did that function on on this show was there was there some improvisation going on were you do you enjoy finding like additional jokes in a scene yeah so there was definitely improv that i think this was lee davenport's like just baby she it took her 10 years to get this made oh my heavens wow and she's a wordsmith and she right. wanted, I think at the beginning, she really wanted us to like say what I wrote. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what I wrote. Mm-hmm. And you have like Brisha Webb, who is, she's a stand-up comedian. She yeah. loves to improv. I also love to improv. And so I think we were kind of like chomping at the bit a little bit, but also wanted to be very respectful towards the end. She was like, Have fun. Yeah. You know, there yeah. would be moments where she'd be like, just, play here. And I loved that. I mean, I yeah. had so much fun doing that. And you'll see if you watch the whole series in, in the last in episode eight, we're in a hotel room and we're, it's a bridal shop or a, a bridal. Uh, what am I trying to say? You know, the party that brides, ha- the bridesmaids have. A bride- yeah. The bachelorette party. Bachelorette party. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> the bachelorette party, and they just let us play for like four hours. I mean, the things that came out of my mouth, um, <laughs> wild. It's so fun. It's and you can just feel the fun, and they they used so much of it. So, I mean, I never, I've never gotten to play like that on a show before. Um, so I loved those moments, and Lee's like has such a handle on these women because they're women that are based off of her own life. So the mm. boundary, like, you know, with improv, if you have really strong parameters, if you know what the, if you know what the play. game is, yeah, it, it's interesting. Cause like, we don't talk about that so much from an acting standpoint. We don't talk about the game of the character, but it's worth thinking about that comedy angle on character. When you're developing, it's like, what is the game? They're this kind of, a, they're an introvert. They're a, whatever the game with them might be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. what what um could you could you talk a little bit about like what is it what is it like testing for a single cam show because i've only ever tested for a multi-cam and i'm curious a little bit about like you know for multi-cam you play that performance big even though you're in a tiny little office room with like 30 people sitting there what's what's the difference for single cam in terms of testing well the test was just um the showrunner the writer and the director of the the, the pilot episode with Millicent Shelton. 
Um, and it was in a small, and the casting director with Kim Coleman, I mean, they kept it really intimate and really small, mm. which actually, honestly, makes me a little more nervous. And maybe that's the theater girl in me. Cause like, I feel like the more intimate it is, the more it's like, I can see your eyes. I can see everything. Like you're in this room with me, mm-hmm. you know? They were also so gracious though. And they like laughed, like laughed at everything. You know what I mean? So they very much gave us that like live feedback. That's huge. They yeah. make you feel like you're hilarious. I mean, I think they actually thought we were funny, but like they were really laughing. Um, but yeah, I think like usually, so I've done a few network tests for dramas and never, but never for a single cam. And usually it's like you said, it's in a big room and it's like a theater seating and there's like a bunch of executives in there like 30 executives in there and they turn the lights down and you can't see it's like it's like being in a like it's a like a small play Mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah this was very different i don't know if that's always how it is for single cam that's just how these ladies decided to do it um but it just felt like another audition honestly i for some reason i don't know why i just the whole process felt very chill and very right i think it was just meant meant to be i I, um but but yeah the feedback i mean they gave us a lot of feedback so i feel like that's the backbone of like that's helpful helpful yeah like you're like when people don't laugh you're like is it funny i feel like that is the hardest part about doing a comedy on set because like you're doing the same thing over and over and over again you're like if you don't hear them laughing you don't know if it's funny you know you're right. like you're just you like have to, you have to see a crew member just like trying to can keep it in that lets yeah. you know a little bit yeah i mean i think that it's uh certainly it's gonna help i mean i think that the I, casting directors want to help us they they want us to do well because they want these are their choices and they want to give good options to the to their you know who they're working for um but yeah it is it can be tough when a room is just is like prove it you know, because mm-hmm. it, it's the sh- it's the quickest way, I think, to, to sort, sort of kill creativity um, and and confidence. I, you know, I think I never know. I think maybe when they get down to that process, it's for comedies in particular. It's so much about like maybe some people in the room like one performer, other people in the room like another. So every so nobody laughs so that they just don't give away, you know, or try to show that they're tipping the scales or something. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know either. Cause I've definitely, um, I've had like, uh, producer sessions for other like multicams or whatever. I don't think I've yeah. ever, have I ever tested for a multicam? I don't think I have, but I've definitely had producer sessions where it's like, you know, eight people or something. And like only two of them are laughing and the rest of them are just like looking at you like, it's terrifying it's horrible yeah Yeah. it's horrible it's like a a comedian's worst nightmare is just to have people just like staring at you while you're trying to be funny well you know comedians are kind of used to it but but still like it's yeah it it would be it would be hugely helpful if if they if everybody was if we got that experience every time that sounds very special um so talk could you tell me a little bit about like how do you know when you have chemistry with a with a cast you know, it's funny because a lot of people ask us about the chemistry, like how do we create it and stuff. I mean, I, the minute I met Brisha and Amber in my test, I was like, I love them. I don't know. Yeah, it yeah. was just like yeah. we were we were sitting. Kim 
Kim Coleman, the casting director, sort of like gave us a room in her office and we just like sat in there and talked and immediately we were just like laughing and Amber and Brescia already knew each other. So that, that was helpful. They had worked together before and they'd known each other just like, you know, from being in, being here since they were, you know, in their early teens or whatever in LA. Oh, really? Oh, both of them since their early teens. Amber grew up in in LA and then Brescia went to college here. So she, and then was like auditioning, you know, so she's been, been doing it here for a long time. But yeah, I mean, it was just, I don't know. It just happened. They kind of got lightning in a bottle. Like we really didn't have Mm. to work at it. And I feel like one day someone will go back and maybe like, put out our audition our audition tape where like Andrea was the last one to get cash she plays Ella on the show and she like walks in the room and does this scene with us for the with the four of us for the first time and it was just like we didn't meet we didn't talk to her before she came in the room it was just like immediate like wow I don't know um and, and it was also you know I think it's a testament too because we didn't get to hang out uh well, this is what i was we, gonna yeah i wanted to ask you about this earlier because you were talking about the fact that it was that this was you know the, particularly the filming was happening during the actual pandemic and you know because i was going to ask you the, about cast chemistry you know the friends cast very famously they were flown to las vegas for a week and mm-hmm. put up at a hotel to to hang out to hang out to bond yeah and so i guess yeah that was going to be my question like did they did they organize any bonding activities or anything like that? And are you basically saying like, no, they, they really couldn't at the time? Well, okay. So we did have the pilot, which we filmed before the pandemic. And we, in, in New York, ah. we filmed that in December of 2019. Um, so we did a lot hanging out together then. Um, you know, as much as you could do. And what did it take us two weeks to film the pilot? Uh, we were there for about three weeks. Fine. Yeah. So we did a good amount together. They, we had dinners and, you know, they made sure we, we, um, and we did all kinds of stuff, but that was only, you know, three weeks on the pilot. And then there was that one whole year where none of us could really see each other. I mean, we would like text each other and stuff like that, but I mean, we couldn't hang out. We would have like zoom hangouts, like with the showrunner and the creator just to like check-ins, which was also really nice. But it's not going to Vegas for a week, no. which would have been nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, I and when we were there, like I said, I mean, they didn't. There was no the table reads were all virtual. Um, we did them from our respective apartments that we were in. Um, there was no like welcome dinner or welcome anything. It was come to work with your mask on. The only time you're allowed to take your mask off is when you're, you know rolling and uh then it goes right back on otherwise the mask police come for you (laughs) and and um you know it was eating your trailer at lunch yeah um no crafty right no no well no crafty there was like a the the p pas would bring stuff to us um or you could go to like a truck that was open like a certain amount of hours um, but we really weren't allowed to do anything for ourselves just to sort of minimize interaction. Yeah. Um, but it did sort of get to a point where it was like, okay, we're getting tested every day. Like, you know, we're getting COVID tested every day. They don't need to know if we want to like go to one of each other's apartments and like hang out. We definitely did that a few times. I mean, like sue us like we we had to like do (laughs) something you know like it was just crazy everybody everybody else was in their daily lives they had pods right 
Yeah. Yeah. And we were getting tested way more than any normal Nor- yeah. person. Yeah. So we felt pretty confident about that. Like we spent Thanksgiving together and stuff like that. That's um, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Friendsgiving. We, yeah. Friendsgiving. So it was a, cause they wouldn't let us leave. Cause we had to, you know, we had to say, but also we were the only production in New York that did not have to shut down because of COVID. Oh, amazing. The only amazing. one. And there were a ton filming there. So I think we did, we did pretty good. Yeah. So, so Sandy, she's getting her PhD in African-American studies with an emphasis on mass incarceration and the, the patriarchy. Um, She's also dating her thesis advisor and kind of playing the role of stepmom a little bit. Right. Um, Do you, do you relate to Sandy in terms of your real life or is it one of those things that you have to kind of like build bridges to the character in order to like, like you can, you know how to play her, but you have to build those bridges to get there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've never been in a relationship with an older man who has a child and I've clearly never, you know, received a PhD. Um, (laughs) But I have been in a relationship where I felt um, a little bit insecure. I felt like the other person had like a certain amount of power or was more established in their mm-hmm. career. Yeah. Or um, so I felt intimidated and, and was floundering a bit to like maintain my voice or, or my independence because I was trying to please the other person. Okay. I could definitely relate to that piece of it. Um, I also feel like women, especially like younger women, um, but women in general have a tendency to fall into the role of like taking care of and putting, always putting Mm -hmm. other people before themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think she has a really ambitious, like she has ambitious goals and she's still young and she's dating a guy who's like in his, you know, fifties and, and has a kid and all of this. And, and, um, that's a lot of sacrifice. Like that's a lot Mm. to ask for. So, but I, I could, to your point, to your question is like, I can definitely relate to feeling, to putting other people before myself so much to the point where it's like, I have to take a step back and be like, wait, like, why am I doing this? Why am I making this sacrifice? Is this right for me? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, not being afraid to ask for what I need to Mm -hmm. change the dynamic of the relationship. So yes. So there are those, the there are those, you can find substitutions for, yeah. yeah, like these parallel moments from your own experience where you can find some common ground. Yes, completely. Um, uh, so am I correct? Are, were you born and raised in Minneapolis? Yeah. So what was your, could you talk a little bit about like, what was your first experience of the arts growing up? Like what, what led you to performance? Is yeah. that where they, is that where the Guthrie is? Mm-hmm. Guthrie, okay, cool. which has a Tony for like, what's it called? Out of town theater. Regional I, don't know. Yeah. I, regional, I think they call it regional. Yeah, yeah. And then also June Loon Moon is another one. Actually, fun fact, Minnesota has the most theater theaters per capita in the country. Oh, is that right? So random. No idea. No idea. But that's that's the thing. So. so did it was it did you did you find yourself in a community theater when you were growing up at some point or how early did you know? Yeah, I started doing theater. Well, I started off in a modern dance company. <laughs> oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, modern. I just, when I think about mod, like the, 
<laughs> I started on a modern dance company when I was like four and I, we, we were like, oh, wow. okay. like we did performances at the Ordway theater, like three, four times a year. And it was cool. Cause it was with like older, we got to mix and do dances with other older kids. And, um, it was just, I don't know. It was a fun way to grow up. But so yeah. I started out doing that. And then, um, I think I was in my first play, um, around the age of like seven um and I did it with my sister it was called the best Christmas pageant ever (laughs) I bet Um, it was (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it was community theater and then um just started doing plays at school um yeah what what were the ones uh from what like what did you do in high school I feel like yeah what are are the ones you did well, I went to South where actually Josh Hartnett and Rachel Lee Cook both did theater there. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. They both came out of my high school, which is one actually kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to go there because they had a really good theater program. But yeah. I did um, I did Anything Goes. I played Rito nice. Sweeney in Anything yeah. Goes. I did that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I played did. Billy. Nice. Oh yeah. You're such a, you're such a Billy. I could see that. <laughs> oh, you're a musical theater kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Um, I did, we did Oliver. I did that. Um, I did Artful Daughter. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else? Oh God. I did so many plays. Guys Um, and Dolls. Yeah. I think we did do Guys and Dolls. I don't know if I was in that though. Okay. Um, we did like a musical review of, um, God. Don't make me do this. I can't is it is it like Stephen Schwartz or one of those sorts of things or? No, it was like of uh, 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 um, not Cole Porter. Oh. oh, okay. So like going back, so we're talking about um, Oscar Hammerstein, like that kind of thing. No, it was actually like black music, and I forget the. Oh, the, okay. Um, From me- out of musical theater, though. Yeah. I mean, the, the the first thing I think about though is Gershwin, and that's not right. But I think about like Showboat, but that's not that's not black musical theater. No, no, no. And it might se. have just been like a compilation of like um, blues and stuff like that that okay. are from from black musicals. I don't remember. It was a musical review, so it wasn't just like one composer. I yeah. wish I could tell you. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, those experiences in high school. I mean, a, a lot of people have said that they're like that that's where they did their best work you know it's the it's a period of time in which you feel you're experimenting a lot you clearly have an interest in expressing yourself and you're learning how to play with an audience and you know yeah you're... i did it in college too so i mean i did a hundred million i've just done so many musicals i don't even remember the names of them all <laughs> thank you for your service to musical theater yes yes we'll talk, i we love talk. it we can talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, I I do too. Yeah. Um, All right. So I do, I I wanted to ask, you know, just because last summer I ended up speaking to more than a few guests um, about the the murder of George Floyd, um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, took place in Minneapolis. Um, Mm -hmm. This week, uh, we're coming up on a year since his murder. um, Mm -hmm. And during this trial of Derek Chauvin, we we learned there was an attempted police cover-up. uh, there were these historic protests all across the United States, including here in Los Angeles. Did, did you get a chance to go home at all in the last year? 
I did. I went home for Christmas, actually. Uh, my mom still lives in Minneapolis. Uh, she lives in um, in uh, Minnetonka Hills, which is pretty removed from the city. It's kind of more of a suburb. Yeah. But I mean, I, she, it, it feels very strange because I grew up there. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there was just a certain amount of um, me feeling like my parents, we were in a bubble or we were very, you know, um, what's the word? Just protected. I don't know, mm. but for some reason it felt very shocking to me. I didn't, I didn't realize there was such, um, I didn't realize there was so much, what's the word? Um, the dysfunction. Things were, things were that and bad. I didn't realize there was bad. that dysfunction in the police in the police yeah. department in Minneapolis and apparently it's like historically one of the most racist police forces in in the nation and I didn't yeah. I didn't know okay um and for it to happen I mean not just to George Floyd but now what was mm-hmm. it like uh, two months ago right to happen again like it, it just there's a there's a, obviously a problem um and it's it's not just, you know, a sort of isolated incident. Um, And it's just been really heartbreaking to like, and I feel the same way living, I mean, the police force in Los Angeles is, you know, I see a cop and I'm like, I just want to disappear, honestly. I'm like, how can I be as invisible as possible so that I don't end up in a situation like that ever? Um, But I, you know, my mom still lives there and she's like, it's just, I don't feel safe. She's like, it makes you feel like every time you leave your house, am I next? Um, And the things that people are getting singled out for or killed for, like, you know, air air freshener in your car. I mean, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is exist and be black. And, and the, the historically, the reasons that they are able to pull you over for is, is a traffic stop and then they can just kill you. And yeah. so it's, you know, it's Minneapolis, but it's everywhere. Um, yeah. So it was shocking to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to come out of it in terms of police reform in Minneapolis or anywhere, but, you know, I hope, I hope something. Yeah. Yeah, this 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 ver- the verdicts, the multiple verdicts in, in the Derek Chauvin trial might present some hope, but obviously there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, I think people are at a loss for like, how do we reform? How do we actually? Because yeah. you know, there's abolish the police, there's put the money back into the community, and there's a lot of promises being made, but I think no one has really seen any formidable action steps to be like oh police reform is happening thank god i don't think anybody feels that way yeah well they were there's somebody there was a report saying that they had been given 15 million dollars to invest in this specific police department over the past um oh man i don't want to get this wrong in the i don't know in in a recent number of years and that nothing seems to be working so far yeah Yeah. well okay let's back let's talk about musical theater more then <laughs> so let's let's go so you then um so you auditioned for could you talk a little bit because you went to university of michigan is that right mm-hmm. okay cool i i got into that program too oh, um i ended up because they do early admissions they're the only place one of the only places that will do early admissions um so I almost ended up in that. I went up and did a singing lesson with somebody and before my application and everything. Um, uh, 
Did you like that program? I, the one thing I wondered about, like, I liked that it was a college campus. It felt like a re- actual college, but I, I wonder, it was so far away from New York City. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I auditioned for NYU and I'm so grateful I didn't go there. Honestly, the city yeah. would have been too much for me. At the, I liked the idea that it was in a bubble. I mean, I don't know if it's because I went to, I'm from Minneapolis and I was like, ah, this feels like home. Also, my dad lives in Michigan. So it was nice, really nice to have him nearby oh, cool. and like oh, yeah. cook for me and, you know, like take care of me like from afar, but like <laughs> I can still like go home if I needed to. Um, but like, I love that program and the alumni there, I, the alumni in LA, in New York is so strong that I feel like it's such a good reflection of how positive people's experiences are there. I have, I have friends who went to NYU and CMU and CCM, and I'm not going to say they're all traumatized, but (laughs) you know, they have like the cut system and, Oh, the um, cut system. Yeah. It just makes for a very like competitive, unsupportive, fearful environment. And when you're like trying to find yourself as an artist, And we know we're going to have to go out into the world and be pooped on all the time. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be in a space where it's like, okay, you already beat out 5,000 applicants or whatever to get here. Like you're here. It's okay. The 20 of you can stay. (laughs) Um, We're not going to put the fear of God in you that you're not talented (laughs) enough to be here. And then you're just going to like not have a college to be at. I mean, like, I just, I could, I can't even imagine. It is. Um, It does seem kind of weird because again, you're dealing with something again, where it's like, you're, you're making an assumption that like certain people, what, what is it? I mean, how else are they supposed to read that except for people saying like, you, you're not right for this at such an impressionable age. It's so evil. Like, it just seems like something that some bitter, evil person came up with. And I honestly, I can't imagine doing that to adolescents. I really can't. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Just admit less people. Yeah. Yeah, sure. They auditioned, they paid their money. Yeah. And who's to say they wouldn't have blossomed in their junior year. Right. It's yeah. not right. But um, so, yeah, so, it was a very so, supportive so, environment is, is what I will say. And okay, I, I'm still very close to a lot of the people that I went to school with. Yeah. Um, even people that I didn't go with to school with at the time that were a little bit older than me, like I, I'm friends with them out here in LA. Like we have such a, like a community. Um, yeah. And, and I do feel like they really prepared me. I mean, to, to actually work, they put us straight from college, we were in, um, after graduation, five days later, we were all in New York doing a showcase that like, That's... you know, 75 agents and managers were invited Ooh, to. Fantastic. I had yeah. 20 meetings after my showcase and I had, had an agent. You had 20 meetings? 20 i'm not trying to brag but i had the most holy shit that's 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 outstanding um it was wild what um what was okay so then great i want to talk about that then so so then you probably had your pick of at least one or two really good places is that right Ah. did did you sign with one of the top five places right away no, no. I, I chose a smaller, I wanted a, everyone was like, don't go with the biggest one. You'll get lost. So okay. I went with a smaller boutique agency that I knew that a lot of like successful alumni that were already on Broadway already had like leading roles or were Tony nominated mm. had gone there. It's like, you kind of like do your research and go like, what does this person's career look like? Where did they start? Yeah. A lot of people that I, 
um, looked up to had started at this agency. So uh, I went there and, um, but I did have a pick. I, I definitely, I yeah. mean, after the meetings, I, I, there were a lot of places I could go. Um, you know, I'm at a, a lot bigger agency now, but yeah. that, that took, you know, me being on Broadway and cultivating a bit of a career for myself. And actually the yeah. relationship, I mean, of, of the agency I'm at now came out of a relationship from, um, Michigan. Really? Okay. So yeah. So you start, you start working on Broadway. You did the Broadway production of American Idiot, and you also did the Broadway production of Sister Act. Um, were those, and were you, did you understudy in those roles? Did you start understudying and then move into the main cast or how did it, how did that part work? Yeah. So like, there's definitely like a track that most people take to like get to a lead role on Broadway. Like I did a couple national tours. Those were my first gigs as I did mm. Xanadu and, and um, Xanadu. High School Musical, okay. the national tours. <laughs> and then I did my first Broadway show was American Idiot. I understudied the lead, but I also was a swing for the other two leads. So I was all over the place. I literally don't know how I did that, but it it's... it was actually the best boot camp because after that, yeah. everything was easy yeah i mean this is the this is this is that i've understudied in two productions now and it's it's hard work i mean it i think it's one of the toughest jobs in theater it was crazy and to know that like an american idiot everyone was getting hurt every day so Hmm. i would be backstage and they'd be like corbin so-and-so just pulled their you know uh shoulder go you know what i mean like i can't tell you how many times i got pulled out of a nap that I was taking so, backstage right. to just join like a third of the way through yeah. the show. So for anyone who doesn't know, like when you are a swing in a Broadway show, you're, you're covering sometimes more than one role, right? Mm-hmm. And so you've got to know all of the dance positions for multiple characters, which is terrifying. And then they have, you're literally on the bench in the back of the theater for what is it? The first half of the show. And then they say you can go home or did, were you there for the whole no, show? Every- it was until oh, my God, it wasn't the first half. I had to stay beyond that. Um, wow. Yeah. But just because have- the show was so physically, it was like, it was one of the most physically demanding things I've ever done. I mean, we had a physical therapist and a masseuse there every single day because people were wow. getting injured um, and they would like pay for us to get massages, like professional massages outside of that as well. Um, so uh, so then you go on to do uh, Rent Off-Broadway, mm-hmm. which was, and you're, right into that show right you're not are you understudying in that or no 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 i played joanne in that that was like my first big role in new york and the cool thing was is it was the original creative team so like it was was michael greif michael greif and the same music director from the broadway production yeah and um so that was he's great he's great he's very particular and he you know he's he's good he knew he he was very good at knowing everybody's name right away I was I was amazed by that. Well, I did a production with him at Williamstown. It was a production of Once in a Lifetime, which was a Kaufman and Hart uh, show. And it was one of these shows. I was an apprentice that summer. So it was one of the, you had, you had to audition to get into it, but it was one of those shows that had like 
40, I don't know, 30 people in it. Yeah. And um, I was impressed that first day he was just like, uh, you know, he just knew every, he was like, Claude, we're going to have you move over there. Like oh. right away. I was impressed. I was impressed nice. that he, he, yeah, but he's, I mean, he has had this very historic uh, career career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's very cool. Did it, had it come off of Broadway at some point? I forgot about this. Like, did they, did they stop? The yeah, they stopped point? it for, oh geez, not that long. I think it was like five, maybe 10 years. So it wasn't that long. Yeah. And then they were like the revival. And it was like this big thing where we're doing this really young cast and it's going to be like the cool young show off Broadway. And I, I just, I mean, I had just rehearsed into sister act um i left american idiot went straight into sister act no break um wow i actually was i was doing the show at night and rehearsing during the day uh to get rehearsed into the show yeah (laughs) it was crazy uh and then um understudying patina miller who was playing the lead and i right before i had the chance to go on we did the tonys we performed at the tonys and i booked this role in rent and I was like, well, I guess I'm never going to get to go on for the lead. I was supposed to go on that next week. I had only been doing the show. Actually, we'd only been opened for like a month. No, no, no. Did I even make it to the opening? I don't know. I think I made it just past rehearsals and I was in the show for like a month. And I was supposed to go on a, a, my first time as Patina as the lead of the show and and I got at this this other the lead in, in rent the revival huh. and I was like I mean obviously I'm gonna go do that I'm not gonna stay in is an understudy if I don't have to and right, it was rent right. which I grew up on so I was like this is amazing yeah I mean I was gonna ask you a little about that it's the 25th anniversary of rent I think this year had you said you seen it live growing up oh yeah yeah I mean it's a it's it's uh it still is uh, a, a favorite it's it's just got so much heart in it. Yeah, and it was just like one of the first shows to really do the whole rock pop musical genre. I think that genre of music hadn't been done in musical theater before, and it was just done so well and with, like you said, with so much heart. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about a little bit more about like? So you said that eventually it ended up being a friend through a connection at school that got you with your current agents. Yeah. So, because I think like the. I would say to people coming up, like a great way to get discovered is to go through theater. If you can do it, you know, if you're going to do comedy, try to hit the road, do colleges, then work your way up to the big clubs. If you're coming at it from acting, like either try to be a mouseketeer when you're a kid or, <laughs> or go to grad school, get mm. on Broadway and get mm. discovered because you're not going to go in for the co-star on the episode. They're going to send you right in for the lead on the show, the lead in the movie you know? Yeah. I mean, I, so I didn't really start getting, I wasn't really allowed my age. I would, the minute I got out of college, I was like, can I audition for TV? And they were like, uh, like, we don't know if people will see you. So it took me being on Broadway a couple times. And then when I got this role in rent, I mean, I was going out three, four times a day sometimes for TV shows and for movies for the leads in these, in film and TV. So, it just happened to be a hot, I was in a hot show and I was yeah. finally a lead, but it, even though it was off Broadway, it was still a hot show. Yeah. And so I was, I mean, I've never been so tired and busy in my life auditioning all day and then doing the show at night. And I did that for a year. Um, wow. So, yeah, I mean, I would say 
not just like to get discovered even, but there's nothing like a theater performer. There's nothing like an actor who's done theater. It's just a level of training and awareness and, yeah. and, um, endurance, endurance. And there's just nothing like it. I mean, if you can do theater and you can do it for a while and, and you can learn all the ins and outs of it, you can do anything. It's just mm-hmm. nothing you can't do. Um, I always think it's so funny when people are like, because a lot of people in LA don't necessarily have that background. Not necessarily. Like right. not a lot of people I've worked with. I will say though, on Shonda Rhyme, when I was in How to Get Away with Murder, yeah. she specifically hires theater actors. And you can yeah, tell. Yeah. You okay. can tell, yeah. I think, because there's a certain handle that they have on like dialogue. And I don't know, there's just a certain facility that you have as a theater actor um, that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I worked on one show that she was executive producing and uh, it was uh, majority, every, everybody was from a theater background. Um yeah, absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that too. So you, you know, Run the World is at least your third, at least your third series, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you had played, um, uh, sorry, it's Maggie Travers. Yeah. Okay. On how to get away with murder. And she's, she's the, she's the, like a girlfriend on the show. Did you, so did you get a chance to work a lot with Viola Davis or did you, were you in like the other scenes a lot? Oh, how did it go? I wanted to work with her so bad. I was dying. I had one scene with her and I was barely with her because one of the other actors, the guy who played my boyfriend was like, I don't think you're, you would meet her. I don't think I would introduce you to her because of the like drama and what was going on with them. Just like from a story standpoint. And the thing is, is when you're an actor on a successful show, uh, depending on the, the creative team, if there's a point, a sticking point for you and your character that you really believe in, if it's a good team, they'll listen to you. And, and they'll be like, mm. to an extent, um, because I already, you know, feel that and have had that that sort of liberty and freedom with the, the other two shows I've, I've done as a series regular and so I think for him, that was like a sticking point. And I wanted to be like, you don't understand what you're doing to me. I want to work with Viola. But I got to spend a lot of time with her. I mean, she was so lovely. I mean, like in the trailer, yeah. I'm getting ready with her like every morning. You know what I mean? Like I got to spend a lot of time with her just as a person. Um, Very did, cool. Yeah. So that was like, that was everything. I mean, she's my hero. So, um, yeah. and she's just as wonderful as you can imagine i mean and the minute i met her she was just treated me like i belonged there and it just like it was amazing yeah she's the best of us no yes. no question yeah so the, the so the show is shot uh that show was shot on a studio lot i'm assuming um one of the things i haven't asked people a lot about is how, how do you deal with the technical aspects of shooting on a set because you know, it's different from a lot of other acting experiences here, you know, instead of certainly different than Broadway, you, instead of having a crowd, you've got a bunch of crew members who are trying to be quiet and stuff. And you're, they're all in your eye line. What do you do? Like, do you have a, where do you go in your head to mm-hmm. like not see them and just be in the scene? I mean, this might sound really cheesy, but I feel like meditating is like, it helps you learn how to block things out, honestly, because you yeah. do, you have to block it out. You can't. Yeah. And some people don't know how to do that and they still get it done. I mean, or it just takes longer. Um, 
there's like a running joke and run the world that I'm like, they're like one take. They kind of started calling me one take something. That's because I it just <laughs> well because I I I I do I've learned how to block things out, and it's another thing you learn from learn from doing live performances is nothing can nothing can stop the show. Just because someone yells or someone coughs or an alarm goes off, you can't just be like, wait, 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 I need another one. Right. You know what I mean? So right. um, I'm just conditioned to just, what do they say? The show must go on. I feel like that's how I operate. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I think meditation, if, if that's not your thing and you need help with that, I feel like meditating can help you sort of like quiet a room and and block out sounds and block out distractions. Um, that's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I wouldn't say that I do that, but I think it would be hugely helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit, you also start on Valor on the CW and, uh, and you starred in the movie Blair Witch with yeah. my buddy, Brandon Scott. Uh, you know Brandon? I love that. I yeah, love he's, Brandon. Oh yeah. He's the best. He's, he's been on this podcast. Um, I didn't get to ask him about that movie. Okay. What was that like? What was that shoot like? <laughs> Did you, get, did you get all that, freaked that out? That was my first big job in LA. So I was just so excited that I was like, I'm going to be in a movie. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is we didn't know what it was. They We auditioned for it. Oh, and they were it was like, all secrecy, right? They were like, it's a horror film. Just know it's going to be big, you know? And like, there were like rumors circulating after we were all testing for it and waiting to hear back about whether or not we got the part about what it was. And then it was like, you have to agree to it before you know what it is. Before seeing a script? Yes. So then, you know, my manager was like, you need to take it because it's a franchise and that's all we know. And like, so yeah, take it. So I took it. And obviously I was like, yes, obviously I, I want to do a movie. I want to be in a blockbuster movie. This was my first big thing in LA. Like, hell yeah. I think I, at the time I'd been in LA for like a year and a half. So Mm -hmm. I was ready. But um, yeah, so we booked we booked it, and I think Brandon and I actually together went to um, an executive at Lionsgate's office to meet him, and he was like, "So it's the Blair Witch," <laughs> and this is after we signed an NDA that was like, "If you tell anyone, yeah. you owe us half a million dollars." Or oh my we god! We sue you for half a million dollars or something like that. Not as if any of us have five dollars in our pocket. You right. know what I mean? Like. Right. Please, like we're not saying anything. But we couldn't tell our family. We couldn't tell our friends. We could tell no one. The only people that were allowed to know were our managers. They changed the entire, like all the words in the script to the woods. So even while we were filming, if the word Blair, the Blair Witch came up, they they changed it to something else. I forget. They called. I think they just said the woods or something. Yeah. Or they had his code name so that none of the crew knew what they were filming even. Oh my God. It was very, thinking about it, I mean, it was like very top secret. Like I've never kept a secret that long in my life. And the whole (laughs) process from filming to getting the part to it coming out took like two and a half year or two years or something. Yeah. Yeah. The secret for two years. Oh my God. So uh, did you, had you seen the original? Yeah. Do you remember we were experiencing in that movie? I went with my sister. She snuck me in because I was too young. My older sister, I was too young. It was an R-rated movie at the time. And I think, I don't remember how old I was, but I was not old enough to be seeing that movie. We lied and said I was like seeing some rom-com or something and snuck into the theater. And I just remember my eyes were closed a lot. 
Like I didn't. <laughs> I do that too. I do that too when I watch those movies. Yeah. My eyes were closed a lot. And then yeah. at, the funny thing is, is they screened the original for us uh, before we started filming. And I was like, I've never seen this movie, obviously, because I don't remember most of this because my <laughs> eyes just... were closed the whole time. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm a. I think prior to the doing the film, I was like very horror film averse because I'm very like rocked by that stuff. Like what I watch, yeah. I like really take it in, and I'm, yeah. I like live with them. Like I, I can't. I think I'm just an empath. I think like I can't help but watch. Mm a movie or a TV show. So I have to be very careful what I watch because it affects me like a lot. Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, somebody was saying to me the movie Hereditary, they were like, it's not, don't, you're not going to watch it. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. They yeah. were like, the stuff happens to the kids. Don't watch it. And oh, I think now, God. particularly now when you're when you're a parent, it's like you don't, you, there's, no, there's never a time where right. that's, that, that it falls under entertainment. It's just too, it's too, it's too close now. But I think uh -huh. that, um, yeah, I saw that movie. I was in a different country and I went to see it by myself. I knew nothing about it mm -hmm. except that it was a movie that was supposed to be people liked. And um, I, I mean, I just didn't know what I had watched. It looked like it was real. It just looked like it was real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our version was very, very different. It was completely scripted and everyone knew going into it, like this is the scripted version of like, like the sequel to the Blair Witch, they didn't try to sell it to people as like this really happened. It's like we are—they already did that gag. The mm -hmm. gag this time, the marketing gag this time was they were marketing it as the woods, and then all of a sudden it was like the woods. And they went to Comic Con and they were like, all this marketing you've been seeing for the woods is actually the Blair Witch, and people were like, ah, you know. <laughs> so that was the gag. It wasn't that it was because it, it was very much scripted. They let us improv a good amount. Um, but there was a full on script. Did you get freaked out in the woods, like filming? Well, it here's the thing is they, the shooting schedule was insane. We shot like 16, sometimes longer hour days, night shoots, hour probably. days, night shoots, like back to back to back. And then Fuck all of a sudden that. they'd be like, they'd be like, Oh, you're used to this night shoot schedule. Just kidding. We're going to switch you back to the daytime schedule. And so we all started going crazy and we were all <laughs> like in every scene, like we were working our asses off like, yeah. and it was raining in the middle of the woods in fucking, I, I forget the name of what that was. It Where was it on the East coast or was it up in? It was uh, an hour outside of um, Vancouver. I forget. Oh, we okay. were in the redwoods. Like we were in the forest and it was always <laughs> raining. Always. Oh, and so, and so the days in the beginning and then the days when it wasn't raining, they had to spray us down for continuity. Oh my God. Spray oh. bottles. I have PTSD from being sprayed <laughs> with water on a sunny day. Um, so yeah, no, it was, it was just the back and forth of it made us all a little nutty. And like, I think we, would get scared because we were just like sleep deprived and crazy. And like, they also did things like Adam Wingard who directed it would like have people dress up in the woods and like scare us while we were filming scenes or he would like okay. satanic devil music. Like that I never See. like before the scene and he would just like bring it in on a speaker and act like he wasn't doing it and like talk to us about what the scene was supposed to be and we would be like what it would be like rah, like bah, 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 like weird shit <laughs> or he'd like have like a blow horn and like try and scare us like in the middle of what why just 
you're doing too much. We did all kinds of stuff to us. We were. The woods is enough. It was enough. I'm scared of the woods. Yeah. Like that would be enough being cold and in the woods. I'd be like, I, that that would that could do it for me. I, I I feel like when I would be out there, I'd be like, yeah, I believe in witches at this moment. Yeah, sure. That's all you need. Yeah. Um. So okay. So assuming that Run the World is a huge hit, do you, do you have any plans? Do you ever think about plans beyond the series that might be involved in? Like, do you want to have your own production company at some point? Anything like that? Yeah. I mean, so before Run the World, um. I have like a year and a half break of, of just like, you know, the normal actor stuff, auditioning for stuff, trying to find the next thing. Um, and uh, I was writing, I wrote a, a short film and I directed it and executive produced it and did the whole film circuit situation. And cool. during Valor, I shadowed a couple of directors um, and then the executive producer from that show became my mentor and like helped me like shape the short film that I did. I also wrote a couple of, pilots and a couple of screenplays and I'm still writing and I shadowed the director that directed the pilot for um art for run the world on 911 when she directed that oh yeah like five or six months ago so I've I've been slowly trying to position myself to be able to direct an episode of the next show that I'm on um and I've been told they're gonna let me direct an episode I don't know if it'll be you know which season it'll be but they they're 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 like, yes, we'll let you do that. So hopefully that'll be my first directing gig and then I can keep doing it because I really, really, I really want that. And I ultimately want to direct um, my first screenplay that I've written. So um, hopefully cool. hopefully I get to do all that stuff. Is it autobiographical? Is it a genre piece? It's actually a comedy. Um, it's a comedy and it's set in Jamaica and New York. It's like a- okay two setting plate uh uh script but it's it's not autobiographical i mean there's always like a i don't know i don't know if you write at all but i feel like there's always a piece of yourself in there sure um especially in the beginning of the like they say like write what you know you know so there's some of me in everything that i write yeah um but it's not autobiographical at all got it well cool that all that sounds exciting sounds like a movie that would be really fun yeah well corbin this has been wonderful um Thanks so much again for making the time to chat with me during a, a wonderful week for you. Um, I'm wishing you huge success on Run the World. The show looks great and wishing you safety and good health. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Corbin Reed. A big thank you again to Corbin for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. We've got more incredible interviews with Sarah Levy, Jim O'Hare, Joe Tippett, Alicia Oxy, Pej Vidat, Joan Ford, Madison Shepard, and Shelley Bala coming in the next few weeks. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Melissa Fumero, Baron Vaughn, Chantal Tui, Patrick Adams, Kevin Avery, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And you can check out our link tree to get some of our merch. Our link tree is on our Instagram page at things are going great for me. If you like any of what you hear so far, please give us those five star ratings. Leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all your ratings, reviews, and kind words. And we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Aaron Pineda. We talk about writing live comedy shows, network showcases, dealing with agents and managers, and what's often lacking in drama training when applied to auditioning for TV and film. 
We talk about her roles on Physical and the Jamie Dembo series American Princess, exec produced by Genji Kohan. It's a wonderful chat. Here now is the delightful and talented Aaron Pineda. So we've known each other a long time. We um, have. And I'm trying to remember... I'm trying to remember how we met. Did we I go was to... too. I was totally too because I feel like I've known you for a long time, but I can't say the moment where we met. Were you part of Crunch Gym at some point? I was, yeah. I, that was like my first <laughs> job in LA. I was like folding towels and making smoothies yes. at a gym. Yeah. Yes, Claude. I would see you there all the time. That was part of it. That's not how I oh met you. Oh my God. You, I didn't even know that. Oh, oh wow. Maybe, so maybe I didn't even say I saw you, but I like, I think we kind of like, I kind of knew who you were and then you were at Crunch. And I was like, look at that cute guy at Crunch. I kind of know him. <laughs> I mean, like, it was such a great first job. It was so easy. People were very nice at the gym. And yeah. I served, I ended up, like, serving everybody. Like, Mike really? T- Mike Tyson came in for smoothie. I'd make Mike him Tyson his Tyson went smoothies. to Crunch? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, Jonah Hill came in. Chris Hemsworth. Uh, Drew Barrymore. Um, you know, it was... Uh, major showrunners and and things like that i mean people were coming through all the time wow Um, i only remember the two i remember the most were what's his name from 90210 the blonde guy something zon zeering zeering yes ian zeering and i was like yeah when i first came to la i was like oh my god you're in ian zeering and he would always work out there and it was very exciting to me one day uh renee zellweger came in and she and i got chatting and you know we were talking a little bit about she was sort of i was like how's how's your day going and she was talking a little bit about the uh the photographers that would be following her around and stuff and i just remember getting into it with her and being like man that sounds like um so invasive and 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 we ended up chatting about it for about 15 minutes and then when she left all the folks at the other table who were checking Uh people in they were like "Ooh." Yeah, almost happened. (laughs) Almost happened. So close. She's like, this guy gets me. He gets my issues. She. I was. I was. I I was moved by it, and I. I was. I was concerned for everybody who is that level of famous, which I don't think I really want to be. No, it It looks terrifying. Yeah. Do you want to be that famous? I. I. You know, I would. I would take it, and I would try to cope. But you know what's funny? I just realized because I'm like, why didn't I see any of those famous people? Um, it's because they probably came in early. I was coming in ah. at like, I was rolling in at like two. Remember those I days? Mean, my first few years in LA, I was like waking up at like 11 a.m. Were you, were you, and nothing to do. was it partying the <laughs> night before? Was that what it was? I mean, of course. I, yeah. I, I, I was, I did nothing for the first five years I was here. I'm always impressed by people who come here and were like, you know, they already got an agent or doing stuff. I came here for no reason. No one was requesting me out here. I had no friends out here. But this girl um, that I had met, I don't even remember how, in New York, I was 23 years old, was like, hey, let's go to to Los Angeles. And uh, we can sublet this place, um, which we would be sleeping on a futon in the kitchen of this girl's place, uh, for a month. And let's just see how it goes. And the first night I got there, for no reason, I was like, I'm going to stay here. 
you know what? I'm going to give this a shot for six months. And if I am not a lead on a show, then I'll go back to New York. Well, it's been 16 years. Oh so God. <laughs> that's really funny because it's like there are that in a way it's like, that's what they tell you not to do. Like, don't come. I remember <laughs> hearing the advice that was like, <laughs> yes, if you go to LA, like have a plan or whatever. And no I, plan. But I think about like those first five years, like I remember getting my hands on like a video camera and just shooting the dumbest stuff, like just shooting me and my That's friends great. like partying or and trying to be fun. <laughs> You're like, like the masses need to see this. The world needs to see. <laughs> I just didn't know what I was doing. And I feel like now I think I think like, man, that was I wonder how much of that time I was wasting. And I'm curious that I'm, I'm relieved oh to hear there are other people who feel that way. About oh my God, their, I wasted their every 20s. goddamn second, but I didn't know what I was doing. Like I came out here and I didn't like, there's so many um, services now and like stuff out there, like podcasts and people yeah. helping each other. But I came from NYU. It was like, all I knew was how to do like profound, you know, like serious checkoff monologues and right. like, you know, work on my Shakespeare. I did not know how to audition. I did not know anything about TV and film. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even know what SAG was. I knew nothing. I came out here with zero information. So it was, you know, luckily I, the first five years, I, I, I was the opposite of other people where it's like, it was really hard for them. First five years, I kind of had fun. I was like up for like meeting people and like just kind of going on that ride. Started to get like, I mean, the first couple of years was like that. And then it started to get a little harder for me because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't right. know what I'm doing. So um, I always tell people if like in your first year you have a car and a place to live, that's a success. Like yeah. that is a success, like really, because you just got to get your bearings. And it took me, I was very young um, and I wasn't a wise young person. I, um, I was, you know, I had to make a ton. I made every mistake, you know, under the sun, um, going with terrible managers and, and people that didn't do anything. And, um, you know, I was cocktail waitressing. My shift would start at 10 and I'd be done by like 3 or 4 a.m., and oh, so it. that it was, was the like, staying up late and the yeah, waking up late. Right. And it really didn't, it didn't yeah. really. And then like not involved, trying to save money and not involving myself in communities, which, you know, looking back now, I would have done so many, so many, I would have changed so many things about that. But, you know, it was a definite growing time and, um, <laughs> I mean, but not much happened. Not much happened. Well, it's like the other thing is that like we didn't I don't feel like we understood a lot of at least I didn't understand like the power uh, of social media and how to that you needed to make an imprint on there. There were only a few people who were doing it well when we were graduating college, Mm -hmm. which was like Zach Braff. Remember, he had like this huge following on MySpace. Do you remember this? There were yes. and Dane Cook, like there were folks like that who had figured this out early. And oh my God, who were just the on rest top of, us, of it? Yeah, yeah. We just thought, like, well, that seemed mm, like you said, like we knew our Chekhov monologues, and like, yeah, <laughs> we were prepared to do. We weren't prepared to um, do quick, short form, like daily sketches and carrot. I mean. I came out a little bit of the video sketch period, which was interesting. I got involved with some people who were putting videos online and that was an exciting time because it was a period where, you know, there were no, you could just put anything up there. And so people were experimenting with uh, what could you do? There was that sketch group, Stella, 
Yes, that, yes, totally. That we were, you know, a lot of folks were uh, influenced by. And, um, but then, then it got, it's just started to accelerate a lot faster. Yeah. Would yes. you agree? I 100% agree. And luckily, you know, um, I might be exaggerating a little bit with five years, but for about three years, I literally did nothing. But, um, you know, as near the end of that, I started getting involved and started to realize, oh, maybe, maybe <laughs> I can do comedy. Like, I always thought of myself as a very serious actor. I My husband always laughs because he's like, I'm like, I honestly thought my path was like Meryl Streep. I mean, I think there's a group of us back then because it was like Meryl Streep. It's like, you're, that's like who I am. And so I came out here with that feeling and I would go to auditions and sometimes, and, and I would, you know, I'd get auditions here and there and people would laugh and not laugh like I was doing a serious thing, but like I, I would fi- find that some of the things I did oh, I see what you mean. was like funny. And I was like, wait a minute, like maybe, maybe there's something there. So I started involving myself a little bit more in like um, UCB. Like I had two right. friends when UCB came out to um la they were like get involved right now um uh, which casey wilson and june casey wilson, were like june diane raphael yeah yes exactly we're like get involved in ucb now like this is going it's going to blow up and yeah. so i started getting more involved and in doing a little bit more comedy and like you were saying sketch and creating more content and yeah. and that's kind of like what saved me honestly it's funny. I, control. I think I had a similar kind of experience. Like I, I didn't, I was, I, I felt like I was uh, supposed to do the, the, the serious drama stuff. And I, I've had those experiences too, where you're, you're doing a read and people are, are finding something that you're doing funny. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, well, all right. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what I did. But the, the first part is, is not knowing what you're doing is funny. And then you got it. Like, I think as you grow on, you're like, okay, now to like break it down, why it's funny. Uh, yeah. you know how I can do it more what where that feels in my body what's funny about that and like recognizing it because at first I had no idea why anything I did was funny <laughs> so you were so you were at NYU when and I was too what I but I don't remember seeing you there at school were no, you I know what studio were you in I think I'm older than you Claude I'm like a couple years older than you oh all right so then we were there at the same time but we just didn't cross paths maybe or maybe yeah. we did we just don't know yeah yeah I um I did for my first two years. I did the Meisner extension. Oh, Meisner! Which is very intense. And um, yeah, they don't let you pick up a script, right? Until no, not for a, a full year. A full year, you are not picking, even touching a script. Yeah, you're not looking anywhere near and glancing at a script. Right. And then um, it's just about we did a lot of like repetition. That's what it's known for. But it's a lot about being present and reaction. And uh, not including the script in it. Um, and then and then the next year you start bringing the script in, but you don't really do script analysis. You just do do the words and, you know, reacting to each other with just the words. Then you start doing script analysis and all that stuff. But Meisner is really interesting and I kind of loved it because it was so structured. There was like it was so, so structured. You yeah. know, you have like and, and every Meisner program is a two year program. And they have you do the same things in every Meisner, like a real Meisner program. It's like you work on the same material, you do the same exercises, and they go in a certain order. Right. So it was kind of, I kind of liked that. It felt like a safety net a little bit of like, okay. Um, And I still use a lot of that stuff to this day. Because that's like was my first introduction to acting. I Yeah. 
I, I, you know, I did a few school, school plays when I was in high school, but I wasn't like a, like a, like the drama teacher didn't really like me. So, oh no. <laughs> well, I was a little rebellious back then. I was a little rebellious. What does and... that mean? They, well, the drama's kids are all rebellious. What, that wasn't, that yeah, didn't, no, that wasn't. No, not at my school. They were, they were, um. What kind of rebellious went... are we talking about? Well, I was at, at I went to Mounts Park Academy. And I mean, it's funny when people think about a private school, you think about those like East Coast private schools that are super, super expensive. Well, this is Minnesota private school. So it's like oh, a lot of Minnesota people on this. Uh, we've had a lot of Minnesota folks on this season. Really? You, you are the third, at least the third person from Minnesota. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I love, I love Midwesterners. Talented, interesting people. Yeah. Oh, God bless. Um, but yeah, so I, I went to a private school, small, very liberal um, private school. And, uh, but you know, I, I just, at that stage in my life, I was, I was, I was bored by it. And so I would love to hang out with the kids because I lived in the city. I didn't want to hang out with like the, the private school kids. I wanted to hang out with the public school kids or like, I loved bad boys. So I was a little, little, um, wild back okay. then and the drama teacher didn't she she was like she didn't like the people i'd like bring to like the school dances she didn't she didn't like my vibe <laughs> interesting all right <laughs> so were you, i did not come were from you that. were you like were you smoking weed in high school and stuff like that was it that kind of yeah, stuff yeah yeah okay. it was that all kind right. of stuff and got like, it it was yeah. i mean i was going out with guys who were in juvie i was like i'm talking like yeah it, it, okay. I, was, I was a bit of i loved a bad boy but um but yeah so it was but i did a lot of theater outside of school like i did programs at the guthrie Oh, yeah, uh, right. in Minnesota. And so I yeah. did a lot of that and kind of found solace there. So you um, knew at a certain point, even though the high school program was not like didn't quite fit your needs, mm-hmm. like you were still interested in acting and you went looking for it outside. I did. I, Great. It's, yeah. It, it's funny. Like I remember when I was a little girl, I saw <laughs> like when I was like three, I saw these people dance like ballerinas and I was like. I want to do that. I want to be an actor. And I'm like, I didn't realize that ballet was ballet and it wasn't acting. <laughs> Me <laughs> too. <laughs> Same thing. No. <laughs> but, I do remember when I was in high school, they were, because I was over in the UK and they were looking for some ADR for um, this the movie Center Stage. And they needed oh American God. voices. They were doing the, oh the ADR out of, out of, out of um, London. And so I did that. I went, I was like, that was my, first and only loop group but That's i got a, to center stage that was amazing yeah and i got to like watch that movie and i it, i was thrilled by it I, because we were go, i was going to be in new york the next year i'd already gotten into school and uh <laughs> that movie I, I loved that movie because i loved i loved how it showed uh an arts program in new york and oh. um i enjoyed it and it, and oh, that, it became so a good. classic you're famous <laughs> You were in the loop group. Can you hear your, Can you hear yourself muttering? There, yeah. There's like one moment where it's so funny. There's a moment where everyone's at the BDC, the Broadway Dance Center, yes. or whatever, 
and they've taken a class from that the the someone and this sort of like big dude like walks out of the studio and he like puts up his hand you hear my little mickey mouse voice go like thanks so much for the class (laughs) (laughs) you need to like post that you need to get that and you need need, the people need to hear that (laughs) i should i should go hunting for it it's great go hunting for it But yeah, so I always knew I wanted to be an actor. So high school was kind of rough when I got rejected by the drama teacher. But then I, you know, I auditioned for my dream, you know, from like a small Minnesota girl. I was like, I I, I auditioned for my dream school and that was NYU. And, um, you know, I, 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 one of the happiest days of my life when I got in. Totally. It was a really, really big deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was for me too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you, you were, you know, you came out of doing some of that uh, work over at UCB and then you did go on to do some, uh, you started to build your credits with really cool comedy uh, shows that came out of that community, like yeah. um, uh, Comedy Bang Bang and NTSF, SD, SEV, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> all those yeah. great shows. Oh my um, God, they're so funny. The people involved with those things are just so creative and amazing and just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really and then I remember hearing this, um, but this could have just been a rumor that wasn't true. You, you, oh, God. I, I'm curious, but I remember hearing maybe from our friend Billy Savage that like you had done a maybe you had done a showcase and you'd signed with UTA like at some point. Was that a true story or is that completely <laughs> no, made up? That was not a true story. That was not a true story. I did signed you do, with. Did you do one of those big network showcases? I did. I did. And this is, and this is a story. And like I said, I love sharing, um, my, my, uh, failures and successes, but I actually prefer sharing, sharing some of my failures because it can really help people learn from them. Um, yeah. cause I also coach actors too on the side. So yeah. I did, uh, with Bill Savage, I did an ABC, um, what is it? You know, the ABC diversity showcase. Okay. Um, and I, I killed it. I did a great scene. It went really well. And I was being called by everybody um, at that time. I was in, I was young. I was also, so maybe I was like 26. So maybe it wasn't five mm-hmm. years of nothing, but it was definitely two or three years of nothing. But I did that. I think I was about 26. And I was called by everyone. And I was not ready. <laughs> for the meetings? I was not ready for any of it. I had a yeah. manager at the time who was terrible. Um, I... You know, she, yeah, she was terrible. I, I just be honest, she was terrible. She, she was, you know, she's like somebody who told me to get a nose job. She was very old oh fashioned. Yeah, yeah, no, it was crazy. Yeah. But I didn't know. I hear know. stories like this I didn't all the time. know. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what any of this was supposed to be like. And she would come. So I was called into all these big agencies, and she would come with me. Oh, and I didn't God. realize till now that was a mistake. How much she sabotaged it because she would just take over she wouldn't let me talk these people clearly did not want to work with her and i'm not to say that they would have signed me for sure if she wasn't there but and i don't know that at all i don't know that at all um so i don't want to blame that on her but i know it had to have made an effect because i was brought into many many meetings because of my scene i did and um you know uh, that was one mistake but also Honestly, I think the biggest one was I got this huge opportunity. All these people were calling me in and I still didn't really know how to audition for TV and film. I just wasn't ready. Yeah. So, you know, I got all these auditions. I finally got an agent and 
I, it was rough for a bit. It was like, I didn't book, I didn't book. Um, and then I started being like, okay, I need to focus on what I'm doing. I need to focus on the craft, like hardcore. I need to take classes. I need to understand exactly how to audition for TV and film. Yeah. So, because I could like, there were some things I could do, but I didn't, I didn't know a ton. So I, you know, that's when I started to like, not only get better at that so that when, uh, when big opportunities presented themselves, I would be ready. Um, I also started making my own material. Yeah. And started making yeah. my own comedy. Right. And that's kind of when I started getting more work, you know, and, and, but that was, that was, I was, that was a big opportunity that was given to me and I kind of bombed it. <laughs> what an amazing, you know? yeah. I, mean, I think yeah. There, are, there are, I think there are a lot of stories like that uh, out mm-hmm. there. Now you yeah. did, you went on to, you played uh, Gilda Radner. Yes. In a yes. play by Alan Zweibel. Am I yes. saying that right? Zweibel? Yes, uh, you are. Called Bunny Bunny. That was, yes. what an incredible opportunity oh, that was. it was an incredible experience. And that, that's the thing. I've been out here for a long time. So I would say my 20s were where I made all the mistakes and kind of learned from them and learned I need to really buckle down and get really good at auditioning. Really good at that. And then, and then things started. It wasn't until... Uh, my, you know, I started making stuff and it wasn't until my thirties that kind of stuff happened. So yes, with, um, I got to play Gilda Radner, which is honestly, I'm a theater nerd at heart, you know, and, and you continue um, doing a lot of theater. Out yeah, here. yeah. Yeah. I continue. It's like, it's kind of, uh, there's something so freeing to me and where like the, the sparkle happens for me mostly is doing, I just love doing theater and doing playing Gilda Radner was, one of the most rewarding experiences of my life um, because it felt so sacred to me because I was honoring somebody. I was honoring yeah. somebody or trying to honor. I'm not saying I did you know, the perfect job, but I, I felt my intention was so much about serving her and serving her story yeah. and, so, and also him and Alan's and, wife, Alan, Alan, his yeah. love, his love for her. And he came to the show and Gary Marshall produced it. Yeah. And I just, and people would come up to me afterwards uh, that new Gilda and, you know, and to be able to be told, you know, you, you brought her spirit was like, honestly, one, one of the, the best things for me, you know, that was, that was an absolute gift and an honor to be able to do that. And, yeah. um, yeah, it really, it was, it was a beautiful, a beautiful time. And Gary Marshall, I mean, I'm still heartbroken. He's gone. He was, I was going to ask about, yeah, because he was really one of the sort of like, grandfathers of the, yes. by, by the time we got out here of the business and you know yes um, didn't, and he, kind. didn't he fight for his sister help fight for his sister to direct Thelma and Louise yes. and like yeah yes and he was just a heart he loved actors loved yeah. them respected them or at least you know I can't speak for everybody you know you say these things and somebody's like well he wasn't like that with me it's like okay my experience with, with him was just pure. And I, you know, I didn't have a name. I didn't, I, you know, I hadn't done that much when I did it. You know, I'd done some few roles on some comedy shows and stuff, but he, um, you know, he was treated me with so much love and respect and kindness. And I just, I will forever remember him with, you know, 
he was just incredible. And, and, and you hear that mostly from people that work with him. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You, you, you were talking about creating your own work, and you did a mm-hmm. one-woman show called My Breakup Playlist, which yes. was directed by Drew Drogi. Yeah, um, oh. I'm sorry I didn't catch that one or oh, both of these shows. I'm so sorry. There's but... so many freaking shows. Don't worry about it for one second. I wasn't going that. to see a lot of L.A. theater at the time. You know, like I was still in a mode of like, is there theater here? Like, you know, which I've yeah. discovered now there is a wonderful theater scene with there uh, hardworking, dedicated people who are creating fantastic work. And um, and I've got been able to get involved with uh, some fun productions. Yes, um, you have. You did. You did a show with I Am a Theater recently, right? Yeah, I did. I did a show with them last year uh and it was uh fantastic it was called canyon yeah but yeah but... i see i didn't get to see that claude so we're, we're even we're even uh <laughs> tell me about i'm curious about my breakup playlist what was that show i've always wanted to do like a one person like i have a, a little uh uh like a vision of how i would want to do one of those shows yeah what was what was the genesis of it and what were you you know were you were you trying to say something specific with it how did it how did that come to how long did you work on it before you uh put oh, it out there well you know it kind of it was kind of it was it was for my breakup playlist i was very honored because i got to do some shows like i did a two-person show with matt mcconkey called skinny yeah. and attractive oh, at cool. ucb and we got to do that a bunch and that was such a fun experience he's my very best friend yeah we're actually working on some stuff right now together um because we always have a lot of fun doing it i'd like to get him on here at some point yeah. oh my he's god great. he's 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 my soulmate i guess i mean you know my husband is too i mean i've got a couple I've got a couple soulmates. Um, my dog is also one of them, so we've got three. <laughs> Neither one is more than the other. Um, but Matt, so that was where we kind of started. We did uh, was my segue into doing this show. But Matt and I did this show based on our relationship because Matt and I lived together on and off together for about thirteen years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when everybody else was getting married and moving on and having kids, we're like, well, we we just wanted best friends best friends we wanted to be together yeah um because you know i'd have boyfriends i'd move out for like a few months and then i was like well that didn't work out move back in you know we both kind of came and went (laughs) that's a great sitcom yeah and so we kind of wrote a show based on that and we got to do it at ucb and it was so much fun and um and then, you know, he was off doing some other things so i was like well i want to write another show and i was go i went through a very kind of hard time in my life um, and, uh, a breakup that was painful, but it wasn't just a breakup. It was a lot of things yeah. and kind of how I cope is to try and find my, my favorite type of comedy is dark comedy. I like comedy where there's, there's pain to it, but there's also, you know, and, but we find funny from the pain and, me too. Yeah. and that for me is also how I, I am able to cope with things, you know, being able to go to the darkness, but also find the lightness and and the humor too and that's what i strive for uh with my work it's not what i always achieve but it's what i strive for and i continue to strive for and so that's kind of where that came from and it was it was and how i did it because i tend to be um uh, a perfectionist Ugh, that's such a annoying word it's like i'm perfect everything i do is perfect no i'm a perfectionist in not the great way in the sense that like when it comes to my work, I'm not a perfectionist with like my surroundings, like things are messy. I'm not like that. But with my work, I, and I will continue to be like, this is not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. I can't put it out there. I can't. And then it never gets out there. So what I did, right. knowing, oh, 
but knowing you did. my, but I did knowing myself is what I did is I sent out an invitation to about 40 of my friends and said on this date, I don't know if it was like May 16th, it was like two months from the day, I'm going to do a reading of this show that I'm doing. And I, I would uh, just a reading. I'm going to get people. I'm, and uh, if you guys can be there at this place, I got like a location for a reading of a show. I had not started writing this show. So. Oh my God. Good for you for doing that. That's yeah, because I know myself. I that's was like, a little fucked up, but for to, so fucked to, up. to do to yourself, but that's, yeah. uh, but that's awesome. I, I admire that. Claude, it was the only way it was going to be done. You know, and um, if I was doing it on my own, because with Matt, you know, and with Matt was the same thing. We had a theater date before we had even started writing our show. So we had, we were doing it at the Cobbany Central Stage. So we had a few nights there and we hadn't started writing the thing. (laughs) So I, I, and that to me is, that's how I know myself. Like I... Because I will never be done. It will never be good enough. You know? Well, you know, that's the thing they say often about the arts is like, you know, like a painter, like never finishes a painting. They just, at some point, they just walk away. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a real rough time walking away unless I have to. <laughs> unless yeah. somebody's like, well, it's it's showtime. You have to be on stage. Yeah. Um. So I did that. And that's how I got it done. And I just wrote and I wrote and... um. You know, and my favorite part for me is I write something and then I bring in the actors, I cast actors that I love and I admire. And then we try it together and we and we work on it and we improvise a little and we play with it and we put it on its feet. And like that to me is my favorite process. And I got to do that. And um, uh, Drew Drogi uh, directed it. And um, and it's just fun. It's just fun. It's just playing and we just tried a bunch of things and things would morph and things would change. And then I would go back and I would rewrite. But I always had a time limit. So it was like, OK, it's got to be done. And so I did a couple reen- uh, reincarnations. Is that the right word? Yeah. Revivals know. or yeah. Revivals. Re- Thank reincarnations you, can be. Sometimes yeah. I make up words that are not right for the sentences. <laughs> but I did, <laughs> I did a couple of those. I did it at Rogue Machine for a while. Yeah, sure. And I did a Comedy Central stage. Um, and uh, yeah, I loved I, I really loved doing it. And then I did another one where uh, a man named Chris Alvarado directed a new rendition. And um, we just I just. I had a really good time doing it and it was something that kind of just poured out of me. Um, that sounds so cheesy. People say that. I mean, it didn't pour out. It wasn't easy, but like I wanted to write it, you know what I'm saying? Like it, I wanted to. Did you get it on film ever? Yes, but I cannot bear. I don't I don't know how you feel about this. Isn't it hard to watch theater on film? I mean, the their, the filming techniques are getting better, but I do know what you mean. If it looks at all like it's some high school production, just because <laughs> just because the cameras are you know yeah. not as good as they are now, yeah. or and things are blurry, yeah, I, I get that. Um, yeah, but but I think these things are now. I think so many people are creating these things to be. Yeah. Film. To be even, seen, you're right. You're right. You're even, absolutely right. Even um even the Bo Burnham special, the recent one. Did you get a chance to see inside? Oh yet? my god, it's one of my favorite movies ever. I, I'm I'm in awe of it. Me and yeah. my husband laughed and cried. We were like, this is 
I think it's genius. I One of the things genius. that struck me about it was like he had an interesting use of what we might even call like that Peter Brook style of rough theater. Like he was using what was available to, I mean, he was ordering crazy stuff on Amazon. Yeah, it looked yeah, like. Of course you know, lasers and things like that, yeah. but he, it was all the one location and he was using just himself. And, um, so, you know, these one, I thought, I thought it was like, Oh, I think a lot of people felt this way. It was like, Oh, you can do that. You can do, yeah. you can write, direct, edit, produce the all completely by yourself. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if that's how I would want to do it. I, I wouldn't mind doing like an old school kind of a cabaret, Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, doing some covers of songs and, uh, playing some piano and doing some of my stand up. Like that's kind of like an old school thing, but I don't know. I love that idea. Are you, you can sing. Yeah, I did. Well, yeah, I did. Yeah. I sang, I sang in college and I sang as a kid. My first job in the business was in a, was doing a, was doing a Vita when I was a little kid. A lot. That is, I can't sing a note. I am pretty tone deaf and I am in awe of people who can sing. I love it. I love I it. I would re- really love to do something like it. Yeah. Um, so I do want to ask you, this is an yeah. interesting one. So you, you, did, you, as a creator, you also went on to create a few things and in, including mm-hmm. a couple of comedy shorts that, that Scott Z Burns directed. Is that yes. right? Yes. And yes, Scott, I for, did. For folks who may not immediately know who he is, he's the guy who wrote, um, the informant and uh-huh. he wrote uh contagion uh, uh-huh. which got a lot of rewatches during the pandemic yeah um, yes it did it was a good time <laughs> he's a he's an oscar winner i think he isn't is he, an, he yeah. is an oscar winner for inconvenient truth so naturally he would do a comedy short with me how did this <laughs> two two of them yeah so yes, how did this did. come together how did you the two of you meet um well you know what's funny claude i was a bartender for many, many years before I was able to make a living acting. And this was in my twenties and Scott and I would come at Scott would come into the bar and we became really good buds. We just became friends oh my and God. he, we just became buds and I was like writing and, and he'd be like, well, let me see some of your writing. Oh and I'd God. be like, okay. And so, uh, me and my friend, Josh Weinstein, our first thing we did with him and, and Josh and I also put on a show. Um, and this was in my 20s. Uh, we put a comedy show on that we wrote together. And um, Scott came and saw it. And he's like, you guys are re- really funny. And so then we wrote something for him. And he's like, I want to direct this. Let's do it for 60 Frames, which was like uh, HBO's website platform. Oh, it's cool. gone now. I, yeah, I, I, don't, yeah, I don't know what right. happened to it. But that was um, and that was an amazing experience. And then I wrote another one and I showed it to him a few years later and he's like, I love it. Let's do it. Oh, my God. So um, we just had so much fun. And he's and, you know, he generally (laughs) writes and does dramatic material. Yeah. But he loves comedy and he's great. You know, he was great working with us and it was so fun working with him. And he's I, just a special I got to, person. I got to work with him once and it was an, uh, one of my favorite memories. Cause he is one of my favorite screenwriters. And, um, with Soderbergh, you, you did a Soderbergh movie. I did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I had this, I had a, 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 a small little part as a, um, this, in this movie side effects. And I was playing, um, one of Captain yes. Zeta Jones patients and but i only had maybe you know i think i only had like two lines and um i was sitting at the in the base camp or no i was sitting in the house where we were going to film the scene 
and I think she was at base camp. She was doing a costume change and um, I was sitting in the room with Scott, but I didn't know that it, I didn't know it was him. I, I just was, yeah. you know, he said at one point, he just said, uh, are you playing the patient? And I said, yeah. And um, he said, uh, do you have any ideas for this guy? Are you thinking anything about him? And I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is the actor's dream because like yeah. I'd spent, you know, weeks thinking about those <laughs> two lines. Yes, of course. And I was like, yeah. And I was, I just used my own story. I was like, I'm adopted. And I think there's like an abandonment issue thing going on yes. with that. And he like, he then freehand wrote like uh, two pages of dialogue and he photocopied it and uh, he was like, come read this. And I read it. And I was like, this is amazing. And he, he turned it into something amazing. And um, oh and then Soderbergh came in and uh, <laughs> I was just like, I was like, how's it going? He was like, good. And I said, uh, <laughs> I, he said, I said, uh, Scott wrote these these new lines. He said, he said, great. Say that or say whatever you want. And I was like, OK. And then. Uh, and then Catherine Zeta Jones walked in and she was amazing. And then, and she was like, she was like, do you want to rehearse these? And I was like, yes, thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> I was trying to grab any like line producer to just be like, can you, can you run these with me? Cause I'd spent yeah. the weeks on the two lines and then I got of this course. page of stuff. And, um, yeah, Scott was great. And then I, we shot it and then oh. he like shook my hand afterwards, gave me a nice, like good, like you did it. You did it well. And it was awesome. That's amazing. I love, love that. I lo- and I love that you were so prepared that you came in with all this stuff and that I love that. And I also love that he was like, that's fucking good. <laughs> let me like, let me make something out of that. That's, that's like, I, that's, so, my that's an incredible highlight. writer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he is. He's a you special know? person. Yeah. And like that you, you guys work together. Yeah, he is. And he kind of, you know, I, I love these directors where they're like, they really honor the actors and are like, the actors have great ideas too. It's not just about me and my vision. It's about what they can also bring too. And you obviously brought a lot. And I think that's, and that's kind of what Scott did. He just trusted us and he'd let us play and try things. And, um, he's just a guy who wants to, you know, he wants to have fun, make something fun, funny. And it was just lovely working with him. And then I got to work with Soderbergh's, uh, one of Soderbergh's editors um, to edit it. And so we oh, worked amazing. together on that. Yeah. Anybody who's going to be editing for Soderbergh is top uh, top of the class. Top dog. Because he'll, he'll edit a, a lot of his own stuff. It's I, Exactly. And this this guy, um, Corey Bays, edits with him all the time. And, uh, you know, exactly like you said, Soderbergh edits too. And then he works with him. And then I got to work with him and I learned so much. And because I love editing. Um, I, I know do a too. little. Yeah, uh, I'm the same. I'm not, you know, but I, I love learning, learning more and more because especially editing for comedy is its own yes. thing. There's so much timing right. and emotion involved and like yeah. it's, I'm kind of um, fascinated and uh, really like learning more and more about it. So that was, yeah, working with Scott was such a treat. I am a big fan of his and he's, it's, it's, I, I always like learning from people who are who are doing some amazing stuff at the know? top of their game. And it, I mean, yeah. I think, and I hear this too. It's like actors, uh, you know, oftentimes it's like, they want to hire people who know what they're doing. Like that's kind of, cause yeah. 
it's, I think people have a you know a misconception that di- the directors are going to come over and say like can you say the line like this and it's like that doesn't really happen you know like <laughs> yeah they most of the time I mean like the only times I've struggled is when it's been uh, about a technical thing like you have to hit this mark and you yes. have to yes. you know or the sound person yes. comes over and they say like uh, you know you, you're you're a little quiet maybe or something but. Uh, like most of the time, I think those when you when you get when you're playing anytime you get a chance to play in the big leagues with mm-hmm. those with those folks, oftentimes I think it's like you're here for a reason. And yes, right? Todd, I think that is such a good point, and that's something I notice more and more with um with the jobs that I do get. It's it's the notes are generally technical because they kind of like the last job when I, for physical. Um, yeah. That I, um, I want to talk about, yeah. Yes, yes. But I'm just, you know, speaking vaguely about the, the techno- technical stuff, it's like most of it is because I'm I'm cl- like half Colombian, so I have kind of that Latin fiery thing, and I always love to touch my chest. Okay. <laughs> like that's how I talk to people. <laughs> like, you know, when something means something to me, I grab my chest. Well, the mic is there, so I continuously. Ah, interesting. <laughs> so it's like things like that. But like you're saying, it's it's so, you know, it's it's, it's nice the technical when, stuff. It's technical stuff. I, I notice that more and more. And, and then, you know, slight things here and there, which you just love to get. I love getting little direction here and there, like ideas. But yeah. like you said, most of the time, it's it's at least in my humble experience. That's also kind of what what I it's, it's a little getting. hands off. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you re, you and I were recently talking about uh, the the business you were because you were very nice to forward along my information to a uh, manager you were working with at the time. And, yeah. but then this became a really funny story because, <laughs> so first of all, I want to say thank you for doing that at the time. Of course you're amazingly talented and I would do that anytime. I so appreciate it. And, you, uh, but midway through that process, I, this company, I guess just closed, right? Yes. Yes. And- it was so. It was wait. Which okay? You got to remind me. Which management? Oh, well, we can't I don't, say. Maybe we God, I don't. Rem- I don't okay. even remember. It was. Oh, it was an. It wasn't it an agent. I don't. I don't think so because well, here's the thing. Because what had happened was like I was with. I was working with I'm sorry, management I have a company. Shit, memory. Something happened to me. But I do remember this. <laughs> something happened. To something. No, something happened to me. I don't know what happened to me. I think it's age. But I, have, I literally have a shit memory. Like I always get worried about doing like interviews like this because I can't remember people's names half well, the time. You're a so, parent, right? No, I'm a parent. Oh, you're not? A gorgeous dog. A gorgeous dog. Oh, all so right. Have, I'm sorry. I have zero excuse. As a parent myself, like I find that too. I'm getting like, I, I'm getting slow with things, and it's usually it's names now that I'm. I'm so I, I mean, it's yeah. it's horrible. So. Well, I had had this manager at the Please. time who was working with. Uh, they just decided that they were not going to work with uh, actors or performers, so they were going to work so- sort of more specifically with either writers or they had said that they actually. I think they decided to go into production. Okay. So that kind of pulled the rug out from under me, and that hadn't happened to me before. So that's why I was looking. I know who you're talking about. I got it. And yes. And then it just, I reached out to mm-hmm, you and, and then mm-hmm. this thing happened with that company and we were commiserating at the yes. time. We were like, fuck this business and blah, blah, blah. Yes. And- yes. I know exactly what you're talking about now. Yes. That was a manager I was with. I wasn't with him for very long, but he just, he was like, I'm done. I want to go into real estate. Yeah. <laughs> and or you know something. what? 
I don't, I don't blame them. I don't no. blame them for wanting to get no. out of this side of the business because I would imagine that agenting and managing is the, is it's such a hard job and like, it's yes. so little of the glory and it is so, so much of the hard work. Yes. I really do feel for these folks. And I know that they, sometimes they can drop actors without being gracious. I would, it, it, what happened to me was very gracious. It came out of the blue, but they, mm-hmm. they, they mm-hmm. even set me up with a meeting somewhere else. Like it was, you know, oh. they're, they're good people. Yeah. And, um, but you know, even if, even for folks that sometimes when they're very cold with actors and stuff, it's not always fun, but I I like that job. It seems to me like it just seems so hard. It seems brutal, especially building people and like fighting every day to, especially, you know, if you're not like a big name, it's very hard getting you clients and and you know if if you don't have like huge clout it's hard it's you're working day in and day out and fighting and you yeah. know trying to get people i, I it seems and a miserable so totally, miserable yeah. assistant process yeah. where you come up through the ranks <laughs> yes yes you know. yes yes and so he was lovely really really nice guy and was just <laughs> he was just done he was just done. He got he got another like a business opportunity. I can't remember because business to me means nothing. I'm just like, oh, business is a thing. Um, like I don't. And whenever anybody's in finance or like some kind of business, I'm like, I. I you're like you're a oh you're a civilian. You're a, yeah. I can't. Right. I'm not. My brain doesn't. We're in we're in the circus. We're we're in the circus. We're in the circus. Yeah, that's what it feels like. We're in the circus and everything else seems I, I can't understand. But um, so, yes, that's totally, totally what happened. I remember now. I totally remember and now. And I remember you were saying you had some audition for, you were like, I got to go to this audition for this Snapchat series that I don't want to do. <laughs> it's, like, it's hilarious. Yes. And then, yes. okay, so then lo and behold, I want to know how this happened. Uh, Please. I, just, I, know, I know why it happened. It's because you're awesome. But oh, I want to know what the steps were here. So then all yes. of a sudden... Yes. You had booked a Genji Cohan exec yes. produced show, American Princess, that was created by Jamie Denbo. And then yes. and you started working with uh, great reps. Uh, yes. And um, yes. so congratulations on that. And Thank you. I, so I wanted to know, so what happened in, the, did you get that part and then sign with great people? Did you sign with great people and get the part? How did it, how did it go down? So... I got the part. So I had an agent, really nice guy, and I was with him for many years. But, you know, I'd get, like, an audition a month, two auditions a month. Right. And luckily, I was getting some auditions that were really right for me. So I was booking a little bit with him. So I got a few things with him. But the biggest thing I got before I left him was – and then I was like, bye. But (laughs) it's terrible, but it's true. Um, was, uh, American princess, uh, with, uh, yeah, executive produced by Jenji Cohen and, um, okay. So you booked it while you were still working. I booked it while, yeah, yeah, he got me, the casting directors knew me and brought me in for that. Well, you know, the thing is you talked earlier about like wasting those, that time and your, those first couple of years out in LA. And and to be honest, it's like, we don't have much time to waste period. So yeah. It's good that you yeah. booked the show, and and I'm sure you made th- them some money, and it's you, you. It was time for you to move on, right? Yeah, it was. It was just time, and that, and I, they, they, you understand. It. He was a very, very kind agent, and um, and I'm, you know, I appreciated him fighting for me for so long, and um, and so I booked. Uh, it was such a fun role. I love doing characters. Like I love not playing me. I yeah, love and this was a big characters. character. Yeah. So yes. if I understand this right. 
she this is a it followed a, a new york freelancer writer amanda mm-hmm. right yes she's, she's uh going to an upstate wedding she if she finds out that her soon-to-be spouse is how is with is cheating on her with a, a sex worker mm-hmm. yeah it was that your character yes it was okay well, yes it was her name was Helen. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get into a fight and she like uh, bashes your character's head and you, your character bites a part of her tongue off. Is that yes, all true? Yes, and then I have a list the rest of the season. <laughs> it takes place at the Ren Fair. I'm a renaissance worker. Um, so not so. I, so it's, it's like not a, a sec. Oh, it's a renaissance well, fair. Yeah, I mean, I think I would have taken some money for it, but um, <laughs> not not completely a sex worker. But I was a Ren. I'm the executioner at the fair, but I kind of never get out of character. Um, I'm like kind of a sex addicted, like, uh, I mean, crazy executioner at the Ren Fair. Like this all takes place at the Renaissance Fair, which I knew very little about before I did. I love that idea. I love anything Renaissance Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of love the Renaissance Fair now because I went for the first time while doing the show. And Jamie Danbo grew up in the Ren Fair. She she was like oh, there. She was addicted to it. So she wanted to write a show, and Jenji Cohen loved the idea. So yeah. they worked on that together. But my part was insane. I mean, it was a character to the nth degree, and I just loved her. I mean, she was a disaster. She was a disaster. But um, it was a really, a really. I mean, and, and, and that's the thing. And that kind of experience, like working with all those phenomenal directors. We had many, many female directors. It was executive produced cool. by female, yeah. um, written by females. It was so much fun and it was just play. We played and played and played and we had a great cast. Um, this actor, Lucas Neff, who is phenomenal. He's in. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I think I've met them yeah yeah he's he's a wonderful and then mary hollis imbedin who's now in kevin can fuck himself she's hilarious right R- rory o'malley who uh was in hamilton the original cast cool. nice. he's gone on to do some more things and just some really good and georgia flood who was this wonderful she was um the you know uh the lead of the show wonderful young actress from australia and it was just a really fun comedy. We had an actual Ren Fair set up in Simi Valley. So you walk in and you're it's like you're at the Ren Fair. And we they had these, you know, we're in corsets and costumes and all these ridiculously fun characters and kind of just had the time of our lives doing it, you know? And Sounds um, amazing. And to be part of something that Genji Cohen produces was I mean, a dream come true. You know? She's cool. She's, She's very cool. cool. Yeah, She's I heard her on uh, cool. some uh, another podcast, probably Marin's, and she was. Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought she was super cool. She's like a cool cat. She's a cool woman, and she kind of um, she knows she kind of knows what works, and she has strong yeah. points of view, and she's just very very smart, very very smart. Oh yeah, and and so it was. You know, we're working in like a hundred and twenty degree temperature in Simi Valley with corsets oh and capes, and of course, yeah. I had extensions crushed, down crushed to my waist. Crushed velvet, yeah. Crushed velvet. Claude, did you go to the Ren Fair and dress up? Did you dress up? I mean, I've seen... You dressed up. <laughs> I don't think I ever went. But you know what's funny is You that, liar. Um... You went with a sword and like your... <laughs> no, I wasn't really... I didn't do that stuff. I wasn't nerdy in... Uh, the only thing I was nerdy about was like theater stuff. But yeah. you know what was funny is that... that Which that kind of is a version of. Chris Pine... Yeah. 
I remember Chris Pine telling a story of because his dad used to go do them. His dad used to go oh be God, in them. Amazing. And so Pine, when he was a kid, used to be around them a lot, you know, which is it amazing. Is... And I would love to be that yeah. kind of an actor dad who like, oh. does that. And then my boys are coming around to the round. Of... I would do yes. one. I'd do one. I think it's such a, such a beautiful community. It really is. And Jamie was like obsessed with it. And we had some like, you know, like in the, some of the smaller parts or people who were actually from the run fair that she knew. And it was, it's just the most beautiful community. They're having so much fun. They're doing this yeah. because they're passionate. They love playing characters. You know, like I'm talking about the actual run fair people. I mean, the yeah. actors too, but like, they just and they live together for a summer and they travel together. It's just really, it's just really awesome. And then you go there and you, it's like you're just, it's. I, I thought it was so fun, and that's what it felt like, honestly, doing the show. I got to do the show for it was like a three, four month shoot, and it was like we were at the Ren Fair for the summer. Oh my you god! Know? And what a great with time. Funny, funny, funny people. Um, we just had, you know, so many funny people on that show and it's just, you're laughing and playing. And I got to, I, I just, I really love playing somebody different from me. I just love it. It's just like, you kind of get lost a little. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you, so next up, you're going to be on, uh, Apple Plus's new dramedy series, mm -hmm. physical, um, mm -hmm. starring Rose Byrne. Um, mm -hmm. congratulations on that. We, you know, Thanks, we had Della Saba on our did. on our first season and she's got a big role on that did you get to work huge. with Della she's yeah. got a huge role I did not get to work with Della Della and I got to talk a little bit when you know when we were getting our hair done and she's so lovely she's the best she's, yeah she seems like the nicest girl she's um I was just chatting with another friend of mine who was her roommate and said wonderful things about her, but I never, because our scenes weren't together. Got it. Um, but I'm very excited to see her in it. I think she's going to be absolutely fantastic. It's such a, such a fun role she got, you know? Well, I'm very excited about this cast on this show. And uh, so you, did you get to do a big character on this one too? Yes, I got to do, so I'm in seven out of the 10 episodes. Oh my I gosh, have fantastic. a very, um, I, my whole, my whole storyline is with the character Paul, uh, the actor Paul Sparks, who I cannot say enough about. I awesome. am yeah. in awe of his yeah, he's work. Amazing. I am yeah. in awe. I felt working with him for me was a, is a, was a highlight of my career. I learned a lot. So Paul him. Sparks was Boardwalk Empire. I got mm -hmm. to see him do a, I got to see him do a play with Michael Shannon once. And he mm -hmm. did a play. I think he did True West with our buddy mm -hmm. uh, Nate Cordery at Williamstown. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, and he was in House of Cards. I mean, he's that's right. You look that man up, and he's in. You're just like he's and in everything. You know what I noticed about this casting was like it seemed like a lot of they cast folks that were like New York scene, LA mm -hmm. scene, UK scene. It seems like like mm -hmm. what was the casting process for this? What very specific. Uh, it was it's kind of, but I just booked it off tape. I, I mean, booked that. Nobody's doing that. It's so cool. Off tape. Good for you. Um. I loved the part, though. I love her. She's a Mormon. I'm a Mormon mother, a uh, very strict Mormon. And M Paul and I are married. And, and um, you know, he's kind of acting like th it's about kind of the unraveling of what's, I mean, our storyline is about the unraveling. So for everybody here, yeah, just quickly. Uh, Please, the, Claude, yeah. This is the series that follows a housewife in the 1980s who dreams of a like a VHS fitness empire in the style of yes, Jane Fonda. Yes, that's sort Rose of Byrne, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Got yes. It. But there's many different storylines and 
all the characters, what I like about this show when I was reading it is that there is no hero. There is no good. There is no bad. Everyone is good and bad. Hmm. And those, and it's dark comedy. Like the humor comes from some real uncomfortable moments and it's, and everyone, no one is a hero. And I, I love those kind of stories. I do too. Um, those, are, yeah. those are my, my favorite. And, um, and yeah, and it's funny because you, we have like Rory Scovel, who's an incredible comedian, right? but he's able to bring a ground, like all these comedic actors that are also in it. Um, what's his name? Jeffrey, Jeffrey, he went to Aaron's, NYU actually. Yes. Jeffrey thank Aaron. you. Thank yeah. you. He's also an incredibly um, gifted comedic actor too. Deirdre Freel. Yeah. Um, all these people who can do comedy also um, are able to bring a groundedness and like an authenticity to it too. Not that you can't with comedy, but you know, sometimes you get people just, you know, doing it for jokes, but it's, you have a lot of that in this show. And I think it just, it's just, it just adds to it beautifully. It's a beautiful mix of that. And the, the casting process was it was interesting. They also they were very specific about they want what they wanted. They wanted for me, I'm Colombian. I'm half Colombian. They wanted half Hispanic. <laughs> oh for, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um and I've had that before too. And they had they they had like certain things and I think you know it's gonna come out more or why, but um but they had certain things they kind of looked for in the casting. Um and I think they also wanted a very fine line between funny and very real. And mm. um, I see that with the other actors that did it. They 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 really kind of played well with those lines, you know, played well within that. And Rose Byrne is a is I think a genius at it, you know. She's yeah. She's both. I love her. Yeah. Funny and very authentic, very real, very grounded, and. Um, it was again. I always feel just so honored to watch people and like working with somebody like Paul Sparks um, because all my scenes, pretty much all my scenes, were with him. Um, it made my job easy because I just I just react to him, you know, and it's just just easier. It's like way easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's cool. Yeah, I would love to, yeah, cool. I'd love to work with that guy. He, yeah, he's a fascinating, he's a fascinating actor. Uh, well, then that ties back a little bit maybe to the Meisner stuff you were, we were talking about. Yeah. At the beginning. It right? makes it easy because, you know, I have, like you said, you came in with your character, you know, you come in with your character and then, and my character, she's, you know, she's very different from me. You know, she has a different belief system, a different way of looking at the world, but I got the time which I love having time to be like with her and to, to, to let that settle. And then you go in and I got an amazing partner to just exist with and, and have that, you know, relationship with. And, um, Paul comes from the theater. Yeah. And so, and there's something, and he's a New York guy and there's something, and he, and, you know, acting is sacred to him and he's, his first love is the theater too. Um, and he's just, He's just got this very relaxed, very present vibe. And it was, um, it helped, it helped me, especially, you know, because I'm a little more, I was a little more nervous. I'm going into these, with all these phenomenal big actors and, and, um, that I admire. And it just kind of just brought me to like being very present. And I, I felt like helped me do my best work. So it was a, it was a real treat. It was a real treat. 
Well, I'm very excited for you. Thank you again Thank you. for thanks for doing this today. Oh, where uh, finally, where can people find you online? Oh my god, like like on my Instagram. Yeah, should we plug your your socials? Oh, Claude, I'm terrible at Instagram. I grew up, you know, it's funny. I grew up um, by two introverts. I was raised by two introverts, like really, like my mom's, you know, Canadian and my dad's Colombian and you, you never, ever, ever brag or you never like, you know, like to post things on Instagram. So I have a terrible Instagram, but my Instagram is. <laughs> was that your saying of the word brag? Because that went Minnesota real quick, real, oh, yeah. real hard. Right. Well, you know what? I have this line in this audition I have to do today um, where I have to say something about a flag. And I had to practice because I want to say flag, flag, but it, or like bag or break. What do you say for bagel? Bagel. Okay. That's okay. That feels that's, right. That's fine. Yeah. Right. Brag. 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 Is that right? <laughs> Brag. Um, but yes, my Instagram is, let's go for it. Let's get wild. Is at... Aaron Y. Pineda. There you go, folks. There you go, folks. Live on it. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Claude. Congratulations really on your success. You're one of the nicest and funniest folks that I've met in LA. Oh, and you're uh, so nice. And I wish you continued success. Oh, my God, Claude. It makes me feel so good. Thank you. Thank you. It was so fun to talk to you. If you listened all the way to the end of this episode, you get a Things Are Going Great For Me participation trophy. Show us your screenshot of you finishing the episode, and we'll shout you out on our socials. No cheating. So far, these episodes have been longer this season, but you go the extra mile. Thank you for being you. Give us a subscribe and those sweet five-star ratings, a nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality content in the future. You can check out our Patreon and our merch for more ways to support the pod. You can find both in our Instagram handle, at Things Are Going Great For Me. Stay tuned, because we've got six more incredible episodes in Season 2, premiering every Thursday, including interviews with Sarah Levy, Jim O'Hare, Joe Tippett, Alicia Oxy, Pej Vidat, Joan Ford, Madison Shepard, and Shelley Bala, to name more than a few. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our graphics editor is Sierra Hauser. All right, for you truly thorough listeners, here's a secret. I've never seen the movie Point Break. I'm told this is a failing on my part, and I'm fully willing to accept that. See you next time.